Hello world, my name is SK and this is episode one of what I hope is a long series of interesting conversations. Today I have one of my best friends for over 10 years, uh, my man Chuck, who practices and teaches law. And today we'll be discussing Elon Musk's secretive startup Neuralink and their big announcements, some of the privacy concerns surrounding FaceApp and some possible solutions. We'll be talking about how torrenting ended up being an educational subsidy for a lot of professional careers, and even some future regulations regarding algorithms and tons of other interesting stuff. So uh, without further ado, even though this is way overdue, uh, here's episode one. Man, what a week it's been for the world of technology, dude. 50 years since the moon landing yesterday. Shout out to... So NASA, I got the shirt from when I went to Ames with Ty. Um, Elon Musk's Neuralink Neuralink. finally announced what they've been working on all these months. They're ready for humans 2020 out here. Face app, aging the world, one face at a time. While taking all their data. (laughs) Dude, it's been a crazy week. But yo, let's start with Elon Musk. Did you watch it? I did not watch it. I've read a few articles. What have you read, sir? I've read that... um, Pretty much where, or not where, they've been testing on uh, mice or rats. Um, they were able to get them to do certain things. I'm not sure how or what. And then apparently they're like ready to go on to humans 2020. But I'm scared. This is my brain. Like I stayed up. Tell me, what, what, what did you, what, what happened? I stayed up. What, what they <clears throat> preaching? Yeah, the live stream was supposed to start at 8 p.m. Mm-hmm. Pacific time, which is 11 Eastern. 11 here, yep. It didn't start till like 1230. There was like some delays or something. So I was waiting for about an hour. It didn't start. Uh, I watched the whole thing. Musk went on talking his shit. Um, the, the president of the company came on. A few like neuroscientists came on. And um, damn, dude, it's fucking impressive. It's how does it work? Can you honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm taking it back because I expected something, but I didn't expect something this interesting. So just like to, to backtrack for people that are listening that don't know what BCIs are, essentially it's just a way for your brain to communicate with a computer in and out. Maybe you can send information or it can receive information. Okay. And uh, I mean, that's a very basic definition. I wrote this, uh, like I called it the ultimate guide to brain-computer interfaces I published in 2017. I'll drop the link in, in the description. But um, essentially, like... You got to communicate. To take a step back, uh, think of Stephen Hawking, mm-hmm. right? A brilliant mind, without a doubt. He's been trapped in a body, which is, or was trapped, you know, rest in peace. But he was trapped in a body, which greatly limited his communication with the world. He couldn't move his hands. He couldn't do shit. Despite all those limitations, by the way, he wrote one of the best-selling books of all time. So he was equipped with this interface that he basically communicated to a computer with his cheekbones, so he would like twitch his eye to type and move a cursor on a screen. And like, if you went to one of his lectures, which unfortunately I never had the chance to before he passed away, people would ask him a question and he would be on stage and he would take like three minutes to reply to the question with like two sentences or something. Cause he'll be busy, you know, just struggling. So if you look at what's going on with him, you have this brain that's brilliant, but it's trapped in this uh, handicapped communicative body that that can't get the information out fast enough. He's having thoughts, not just like you and me, like on a different level than you and you and I, but he can't get them out. So if you look at him, 
That's exactly what's happening with every single person on earth. We all have thoughts at a much greater rate than we can get out of our heads because when you have a thought, your brain has to send a, a signal to your nervous system to connect to your muscle, to talk to a pencil, and you can write it out or type it out or even your mouth. Like, um, I actually created a graph in, in the article I did, and it was how fast it takes you to listen or write or speak 500 words. So I believe it was something like you can listen to 500 words in like 1.3 minutes, but it takes you like 12 or 13 minutes to type out 500 words. Totally agree with that. Or to speak, I think was three minutes. Yeah. So there's like a, a, you could input much faster, right? And we're visual creatures. So you're, you visually, you can intake a lot more information than you can actually put out into the world. So just imagine, right? Like if you can get your thoughts about a subject um, and not be limited, right? Like to expand this bandwidth limiter of your physical body, you could just directly communicate your thoughts without having to, to, that's incredible to funnel them down to typing at 60 fucking characters a minute on a keyboard. Right. So that's what Elon Musk is trying to solve. And this thing, by the way, isn't new. BCI has been around since like the seventies, mm-hmm. not a new concept. Facebook is actually working on a BCI as well. They have, I think this chick called Regina Watts based out of DARPA, who's doing the same research. And I know Facebook's goal for BCIs is to get you to be able to type 100 words per minute using your thoughts without actually using your fingers. So Facebook's trying to get hit that. Everybody, yeah. I mean, Facebook is kind of like, they're, they're the octopus that have a, a tentacle dipped in every industry and, and every discipline, right? So they're in it, in it as well. So the other, you know, now that we got the BCI definition out of the way, there's many methods you could do this shit with. And I've listed them all in this article that I wrote, but there's essentially two challenges, which is one, you have the scale of your brain. How much in terms of like mass can you, can you capture in terms of like neuroactivity? And then you have like fidelity, which is the amount, the detailed activity you can capture. So some methods um, can capture the electrical activity of neurons at a very high resolution, almost like a picture. But the problem is they can capture like, you know, 20 neurons at a time. I'm exaggerating, right? Your brain consists of, you know, obviously like, you know, millions and shit. Exactly. So that's the the trade-off. You either capture the whole brain at a very low resolution or a very small amount at extremely high. So you have to find a balance. So um, the method they're using is uh, using these electrodes, which are these little metal prongs like a fraction the size of a penny. I mean, it's about as small as you can imagine. And they kind of pin them next to neurons. And they're kind of like eavesdrop on neuron activity and and send it back. So I think traditionally today, uh, the average BCI, because we do have BCIs today, but they're usually used for like Parkinson's patients. They're they're medical devices to to help people. And they're used for medical procedures. I think the average has, I want to say 10 prongs or 10 little electrodes they demoed or they they uh, uncovered a thousand. What do you mean they uncovered They're, a thousand? Neuralink is using a thousand different like electrodes as opposed to ten throughout the uh, like. Did, how 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 did they implant it? Did they say? Yeah, they did. So how did they implant a thousand different electrodes? So before we get there, though, all right. Before yeah, we get ahead. to implantation, the standard today is ten or so. They're they bumped up to a thousand. Okay. So the big picture, right? The big picture is that they make this two millimeter incision in your scalp, right? And they implant it. They actually stretch it out to eight millimeters and it goes back to two. You don't even need a stitch to to heal it back up. So once they do that, um, the wiring 
goes like directly behind your ear. And behind your ear is where they have like little bass. I've, saw, I've seen that. And then you have this pod, which is like the hearing aid that a lot of people use, right? So mm-hmm. you wear this pod on behind your ear that communicates to the bass that's under your skull. They also said you can have multiple of those uh, little modules. So you can have like a little patch here, your you know, neocortex, and you can have like, up, I think up to 10. And they could all lead up to the base station that's implanted behind your ear, right? Then you wear this pod, which talks to your iPhone. So they actually demoed, like, or they showed an, an interface for an iPod, uh, iPhone app. This whole thing is going to be controlled through your iPhone. You can do software updates through <laughs> this little pod that's sitting behind your ear, which reminded me of Black Mirror, dude. Do you remember that fucking episode, the first season, the entire history of you, where everybody had a little neural implant they behind had a, the ear? They had a visual memory of Bro, everything. Is the same placement it is behind the ear <laughs> i mean it just makes sense it's slick it's yeah. kind of hidden from frontal view so that's impressive but what i was absolutely blown away by is how to get it there wow they invented a fucking sewing machine like a surgical sewing machine yes is this crazy looking robot oh yeah they're doing a that- via robot what makes it hard is to do it safely because you can puncture like a capillary or something or you can, if you hit a neuron, I believe you kill it. Yeah. So, I mean, we're talking like you, you, they could potentially kill a brain cell of yours if they misfire the, the machine. So this machine uses computer vision. Uh, it uses computer vision, it uses AI, it scans your capillaries and the other challenges that you're breathing while they're doing this. So they don't put you out. The goal is that this operation is about as complex as a traditional LASIK, which you just got. So you know exactly what it is. You don't go down under, you go there for 20 minutes and you're out. That's the goal. That's the level they're trying to get it to. So essentially, you go under this crazy ass machine, this this little three arm looking robot, that's a really complicated sewing machine, and it scans like your veins and your scalp and they, they move, right? Every time you breathe, they're moving. So it has to like predict how your breath affects everything and it has to kind of like ping it just at the right place to not hit anything. All live. Dude, it's incredible, man. I think the most impressive part about the presentation is this robot. What's crazy is like this is an automation of surgery. I don't think a human could possibly, I mean, maybe. I mean, I don't know, man. I, I have what, no idea. What's, what's incredible is like we're pretty much automated a very sophisticated surgeon, maybe, you know, who would have otherwise implanted these. I would not trust a person. I'll, I'll leave it to yeah. you at that. I would not trust a, a human to perform that on me, but I'll trust a robot. You know what's crazy? I hear so many, I would hear, I, I would not be surprised hearing so many people say the exact opposite. But the problem is like, I don't, I don't know if a human is not capable. Out of facts. Not yeah, out of facts. Yeah. Just no. out of like fear. I'm with you. I'm with you. I just, I think at some point we're going to get to a level of dexterity mm-hmm. where it's physically impossible for a human to even perform certain procedures. Because you need to do it with such precision, such steadiness, such... And it's moving yeah. all the time. So you have to predict where it's going to move and track pattern. I don't know, man. I saw the video footage. Uh, they didn't actually demo anything. But dude, it's fucking incredible. They're aiming for clinical trials in 2020, hopefully. Right. So what can I do? Great question. The first application that at least the interface they presented on the iPhone app is for you to be able to control a mouse okay, I and see so a much. keyboard. 
I believe. I think there was a third one, but essentially they're starting with the basic computer peripherals, which is a mouse and a keyboard. So they want you to be able to type and they want, to they want you to be able to move a cursor on screen and interact. Do we have a words per minute yet? No, no. But Facebook about a year or two ago announced they're aiming for 100 words per minute. What's the average typing speed? 60, 70, 65? I, I think it depends, but I think you're right around the, yeah. 60, the ballpark's 70. probably like 50, So 60. they're way above average. I think they're damn near doubling do we average. Have, do we have studies on how quickly we think, how many words per minute? Because I know my mind goes crazy. It's probably hundreds of words per minute, like, sometimes. I think you're getting, like, really philosophical because yeah. I don't think... I don't think you can we, measure that. I don't think we think in terms of words i think we have these abstract thoughts Crazy which we then have to stop and yeah. translate to words how do you even measure that too like yeah you know, and how do you even have I don't study know. on that i don't know but the implications man are honestly something i think that the implications are can be predicted I'm, I'm i'm baffled there's another study i read today that bcis could potentially interject visual percepts in your brain meaning like i can hallucinate yeah Essentially, they can make you hallucinate. So imagine you walking down the street and you could see a monitor or Microsoft Word or whatever. You don't. You, essentially, this means you no longer need monitors. So it's a, like AR at its finest. It's AR at its finest. AR, except it's not external. It's internal. You're seeing shit into the world that can maybe transfix to a position that is all in your head. How does this stay on? Is there like a battery? Is the battery, I think they said it's two hours. So how do you charge that? I mean, I think it's the pod. So you so take, you take it, off, it off. It's a wearable. It. And it's oh. a wearable. Yeah. But what I think is also really interesting. That's super interesting. Is AirPods. AirPods are like, I mean, think about it, man. AirPods is something you wear all the time. It's not too far off from the location where the implant is. So I think Apple could be positioned in a really interesting way. Kind of like wireless or something? Yeah. No, I mean, the pod is wireless. I mean, that's what I'm saying. It would be like a wireless device. Instead it could of be like, just instead of a pod, you have AirPods. <laughs> <laughs> so now you can like communicate with those electrodes that are implanted Maybe. via the wireless. I'm just, I'm just, yeah, just... I'm just spitballing. Yeah, we're just hypothesizing. But I, I think Apple's an interesting location, bro, because like, I don't know if you've noticed when I drive and I look at people, I see a lot of drivers wearing AirPods now. I see it everywhere. People are wearing them, bro. Like, you forget that it's there sometimes. I, I find that funny, too. I'm like, all these cars also have Bluetooth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but there's something about them, man. So like, people prefer, it seems, I don't know if they're all actually speaking through the Bluetooth or the AirPods. I don't know. I, I don't know if it's a style thing either. I don't know, man. That's an interesting point. Dude, I, I, I swear, definitely when see I talk it. in my car... Like, I, like I'll walk out I, with AirPods talking. The moment I step in my car, my Bluetooth automatically connects to my phone. And that's by default in yep. mostly every car now. So the first thing I do is actually I just take it off. I'm like, I'm wasting my yep. battery. Maybe a lot of people don't have new cars, though, that do that. Yeah. Maybe. Or haven't set it up. Yeah, or haven't set it up. But it's also about, like, the seamless, seamless experience where you hop out, you get out, you don't have to have all the very true. No, that's connected very true. to your phone. It could be it. But AirPods are very seamless, too, because the moment I'm, like, turning off my car, the first thing I do, I yeah. put it on, and it transfers automatically, like, yeah, to my AirPods. there you go. Like, yeah. Maybe not every car is as, yeah. as advanced tech-wise, but... But I see what you're saying. The AirPods yeah. with the, like, it's like a wireless type of... But I've been thinking a lot about the BCI stuff for, for years now. And I think a conversation we had down at the lake house a couple times ago was, uh, I think somebody asked me, what's the next, what's the future of drugs or something along those lines? And I think that's what I said. I think I, my answer was uh, transcranial magnetic simulation, which is uh, 
which is a BCI technique of using magnets to make you hallucinate. Uh-huh. I think it's been, it's been shown. So I think BCIs, imagine if they get to the point where you could simulate like acid hallucinations because you're in the brain, right? And, and I should say, by the way, with the Neuralink stuff, it's not just one way. It's, it goes both ways. So they want to be able to, I think, simu- uh, stimulate neurons as well. So if you have sufficiently advanced BCI, I'm not 100% sure, but I think it's within the realm of possibilities that you could simulate or you could, stimu- uh, you could simulate auditory and visual hallucinations. Dude, imagine this for warfare. I don't know why I just thought of that randomly. Yeah. Like for torture, warfare. Or for torture, I mean, imagine you just extract information without having to torture. That's like you that, just the literally, Black Mirror episode. Boom. Download the little brainstem. Dude, Black Mirror episode. Everything. Yeah. Damn. I tell you that we're we're on we're on the verge of something, and I think that, I mean maybe it's you know a couple of decades out before we start seeing anything uh, tangible. But when we do, man, I think it's going to be a couple of inventions in our in our lives have just revolutionized everything: electricity, the internet, smartphones. When people are asking what's next, this is next. VCIs, bro. I have a personal question for you. What's up? Are you going to wait or are you going to see Shit. how things play out? Or are you going to be one of the first, you know, triers of this? Because I know you've always been like, oh, my God, incredible tech. I'm trying it out. You've always been the one I've looked to. You know, I'm like, yo, what's the deal? Are we dipping our hands here? Are we are we getting some implants or are we chilling? Like, what's your personal intake on this if you don't mind answering? I don't know. And if you're not ready, yeah, I'm not. <laughs> I actually don't know, man. I don't know. And to your uh, to what you said earlier, that uh, we're the lab rats for a lot of this tech. I feel the same way with social media right now, man. Like I think if you think about a new drug that comes on the market that's going to be helping diabetes, the FDA takes like a decade of studies and they want to see prove how it affects you and and what the what the outcome is going to be, and when it comes to tech. There is no FDA. We just consume shit as it comes along. And the main example that I can think of is social media. Like, you know, it's incredible. I think it's really profound. And I think the average person doesn't sit down and really think to that extent. But social media is, dude, it's incredible. The, the effect it's had. It, it's a drug in a way. It's addictive. It literally causes dopamine spikes in your brain it elicits emotional and and biochemical reactions in your brain just like a substance would when you see a like when you see a comment and shit you know what i mean even before we get to like you know how i see it man you know those experiments you see when there's a rat and then like there's a hole where the food comes through yeah yeah and it's like it's it just keeps going there i see every person i know or not everyone most people i know they're either opening instagram or facebook or snapchat they either do it consecutively or one after the other. And it's like, they might have nothing. They might have something. They're perpetually opening it one after the other. It's like this lab rat. That's funny. And it's yeah. like, uh, what do I have? What do I, what do I see? You know? And it's, it's, we are the lab rats just in a different way. You but know? I mean, we were like when this shit came out, yeah. like think of it this way, like no other generation in human history knew what the effects were going to be. It's like cigarettes. When cigarettes came out, there was a lot of doctors recommending their patients start smoking because it's good for losing weight. It has beneficial 
uh, side effects. Doctors were recommending cigarettes at one point in history. Like, let us not forget that. Social media is the same. Like, it took cigarettes maybe, you know, 10, 20 years for society, for us as a society to come together and be like, yo, this is fucked. We need to cut this shit out. This is not good. I feel like we're just getting to that point with social media now. We're starting to realize, like, yo, what have we turned ourselves into? Like, there was a study, I forgot the percentage of how many people, the first thing when they wake up is their phone. Is the last thing you touch and the first thing, thing you wake up and you, you rush, just within like, where, where's my phone? Check pillows yeah. just to see what's up. Dude, like, that is, that's no joke, man. And there's a serious addiction issue for, for a majority of people. Very serious addiction issue. It doesn't matter age. It doesn't matter heredity, race, none of that. And nobody Everyone, saw it coming. No one saw it coming. We're in high school. Like, think, think yeah. of the ethical aspect of this shit. I was, how old were you when, you when you got into social media? I would say MySpace, seventh grade. MySpace, seventh grade. Well, I don't know if AIM counts. Maybe AIM a little before. Um, would would AIM a messenger count, count? No. I wouldn't count it. MySpace, maybe Zanga and MySpace, one of the Zanga two. for sure. Zanga was, never, I was, never, was before MySpace, right? It was. I was never on it. I used that maybe in fifth or sixth grade. I'm I was like, never on it. Yeah. I used it for very little, and I remember just switching to MySpace. It was like Zanga, quick switch. Really? Was, yeah. Yeah, it was like maybe sixth grade then, I would say. Maybe Zanga, switched, quick switch to MySpace, and then quick switch to Facebook, eighth, ninth grade. Yeah, middle school, yeah. MySpace. Yeah. What's that? 13, 14 years yeah, old? Yeah, 12 to 14, right there. So, like... I don't think you could legally enroll yourself in a scientific experimental study for a new drug at that age without parental consent. That's scary. And we were all hopping on this shit. Top eight. Our parents didn't even know what was happening. We didn't even yeah. know what was happening. We had no idea what we were getting ourselves into. And now it's, it's just, we've all infected ourselves with this. We're like, we're neck deep in it. And we're just now starting to realize, like, oh shit, maybe there, this isn't the healthiest. There was one positivity of MySpace. We learned HTML in the process yeah, yeah. To, to some degree. <laughs> Dude, honestly, there's a lot of positivity. Like, don't get me wrong, man. I yeah. love social media. Yeah, no, there is. I, I, I learned a lot of music. Yeah. Everyone had, like, a music on there, a song on their page. I was like, oh, this is a cool song. But honestly, you know what? Now that I think about it, it wasn't so much social media as it was smartphones. But we didn't have smartphones at That's that what time, I'm saying. Though. I don't think it was a problem when we yeah. didn't. Oh, I see what you're saying. You're saying the addiction increased because we could have perpetual quick access. Just, you know, the moment you get this app. Yeah. Like the moment yeah. you get. The, you're right. Because when we were in school, dude, we couldn't access MySpace. It's like as soon as you get home, then you, then you got home. on AIM. Yeah. Then you got on MySpace. But before that, you, you just, you know. But now we got the smartphones and the apps. It's like every second, every minute, every hour. You're on it. Yeah, man. Dude, the smartphone gave us a quick access to the internet all the apps and the app store and then the fact that we have apps and not just websites it's crazy man steve jobs who, who started the app store was it jobs jobs was actually was he was against, against it, right? it he was against that so i remember it. that yeah yeah he Shout was out. against this Shout i had out. to convince him to to include it that's crazy but wait was he against the app store or was he against the itunes store I think, no, the iTunes store was his idea. Okay. He so. personally actually met with like Dr. Dre okay. and Bono and U2 and shit and convinced him like to, so to get on So iTunes was all for it, but the app store, he's like, this yeah. is shit. He just didn't, yeah, I, I think he wanted to keep the ecosystem closed down so Apple had like universal control. So he was against the app store. They had to convince mm. him to do it. But it's not just the app store, man. It's like the invention of the like. Think about it as a mechanism. Just that mechanism of, and you know, I'm a designer by trade, so I can tell you a lot of behind some of the choices, but 
the color of a like. What color is a like? It was it blue, I think, initially? No, no now, today. When you get a like, when you get some sort of activity, what color is a I notification? I'm, the I'm, notification. I'm not, oh, the note. I'm, I'm not even sure. Is it red? Yeah. It's red. The notification is red. red. That they're I always red. Yeah, they're always red. Red is a primal color. Now, not, not that it's a primal color. It elicits primal reactions, it, supposedly. It's attention. It, it, you know, elicits attention. Why do the police sirens? The red and blue. Yeah, yeah. Blood. Blood. It goes back yeah. to emergency when you see breaking news. Every time you see ambulance, fire truck, the yeah. most predominant color you see is red. These are accidents, man. Yeah. These are these have been architected psychological mechanisms. things yeah. that we study upon, and we know this is how you get attention. Stanford has a whole department by B.J. Fogg, that's the name of the professor, mm -hmm. that literally studies like how to manipulate and engineer habits and tweak behavior in users. There's literally people that their entire career is like, how do I get to, how can I nudge you a little bit into a direction that I want you to so go? So you need psychological engineers for these companies. There is. Yeah, absolutely. Is. I, would, you, I would hope. Yeah. You want to create is. addiction. You want to create, uh, what do you call it, user onboarding and keeping them on for prolonged times. You get more data that way. There's a, a whole book on it. And, and before I designed the the you campaign app. Mm -hmm. What's the book called again? It's called Hooked. Hooked. Did By Near, uh, Near Yell. I can't pronounce the guy's I name. I don't read that one. It's a design book. But it's essentially this, uh, it describes this, it's a framework of how to create uh, addictive behavior. So the first thing is like, is, is triggers. You want something to trigger it. So... A like, you see a little bubble pop up. Red grabs your attention. Triggers come in two flavors. You have internal and external. So internal, if I feel like, oh, I'm bored, I'm sitting in a doctor's office, I need something to do, I pull out my phone. That's an internal trigger. An external trigger is when I'm, I'm sitting at the at Starbucks, uh, I'm working on my paper or something, and I see the guy next to me check his phone. Like, oh shit, I should check my phone. That's an external trigger. And then, you know, it's, it's, it's a four-stage process, and um, one of it actually is variable rewards, which means that if you got a like every single time, you would lose interest. And it's a slot machine phenomenon. Like, Vegas has perfect, perfected this, you know, decades ago. If you were to win every time, you would lose interest. Um, Skinner performed the lab experiment. I wrote about this. Yep. Um, with rats, where one rat was hitting the lever and there was food coming in every single time he pressed interest, it. Yeah. And after like, you know, the 20th time, he just fell back. But it just the other could rat get it anytime. pressed it, nothing happened. Pressed it, nothing happened. Pressed it, cheese came out or something. He was the one going crazy, just tapping the thing. So there's something about variable rewards, whether it's likes or a slot machine that our brains do. It's like exploiting something primal in our brains that loves the unknown. It like keeps you on your edge. The minute you know you're going to win every time, believe it or not, man, you don't want to do it. So all these things, man, are just analytics, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat that are just collecting, you know, analytics on how you you are as a person and they try to like weaponize it in a way against you so you stay longer and longer on the platforms. You know? Uh -huh. But I think the way forward is we take the positive of social media and we just come up with like new apps that leave out the negatives. What would you say are some negatives that we could leave out generally speaking? Fucking addiction. Okay. Addiction. Um, and I honestly think, I th I th I've thought about this, obviously, because that's my profession for some time. I think the like is the root of all evil. I honestly think that, man. And uh, Wow. The like is the root of all evil, man. What a great opinion. Elaborate. I don't know if it's a great opinion, but 
when I think about like, why do you check your phone is the variable rewards. Like, did I get a like or not? So what if we had a, a Facebook with no likes where you just can't like anything? So I think a lot of these like innovative next wave of apps and shit are going to be really counterintuitive to what we have today. And then the data too, man. It's such a big issue. Well, I mean, that's what really creates a business, of course. I get that. You, yeah. That's but, what pays the, the bills. But it's just, there's a big, big issue with the, the, you know, the way they collect data. Even when I'm not on Facebook, if I'm browsing, I was just seeing this article just go around. Um, apparently, Google and Facebook are tracking everyone's just website data cookies and what, what kind of porn they're watching mm-hmm. all right yeah, yeah I read the, porn, that. the porn thing is just trending now i'm like oh okay even in incognito even in incognito mode, somehow they can track what porn you're watching like yeah i'm like i'm just baffled i'm like wait okay i get it when i'm on facebook i get it when i'm on google but even well, if i go incognito him. now i'm like wait what if i'm gonna use brave and you know i'm it just it would matter it seems like nothing matters anymore. It seems like these companies somehow have created their terms of services in such a way where they just have this vast control as to what they can track over each individual. And then that collective data, it's just, it's incredible. I feel like, man, the next step, when you're talking about this next epitome of social media, I feel like data, man, has to be seriously reconsidered. That was a perfect setup for what I was actually going to tell you what I've been working on this week. What's up? And by the way, SK is always working on something and it's always next level. And that's why I'm always like, what's up? Like, I, I have no clue. I'm, sometimes I get my mind blown to the mat. What's going on? FaceApp. Oh, I've been reading so many bad articles. Um, I have too. I, I regret using that app already, just reading these crazy articles. But even then, I'm like, all right, what are y'all really going to do? You know, it's Russian base apparently and... Yep. I, I didn't even know it was Russian based. Yeah, you know? yeah. Had I, I mean, I remember when I was like giving it access, it asked me. It's like, it was like a warning. It was like, you know, the f- and shit. You know, I, 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 I do this all the time. I, I read the fine print. Yeah. So I mean, like, yeah, as an attorney, I'm yeah. sure you pay more attention than the average person. But guess what I did? I was like, fuck it. I didn't even say fuck it. It was just like, it was subconscious. It was like, accept. I mean, what are you going to do if you don't I mean, accept yeah, it? Yeah, I'm like, so. yo, this is like You're every single out. person is doing it. I'm trying to see what I look like when I get old. And, and then I see all these articles. I'm like, oh, I gave all my photo data away. I gave all my data away. Oh, they can do anything they want. And I'm like, what are they really going to do? But even then, it's like, it's like one thing is I've given it all away. Apparently, allegedly. Yeah. yeah. And then the other thing is, do I really care? And so you have like these two, you know, I, I kind of care. I kind of, I'm conflicted about that. I've been reading the same articles. Yeah. <clears throat> and this is what I found really interesting. What I find really interesting about the whole face app frenzy when it comes to privacy is Washington Post, everybody's talking about a Russian-based company. Face app is owned by Wireless Labs, which mm-hmm. has an R&D branch in Russia, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So all these articles are flooding the internet. They're trending. Face app is a Russian app, you know, stealing your facial ID data, all this crazy shit. But how did they train the AI? <laughs> Well, they had a, they had so many facial. Th- that aside, right? Yeah. Like bef- before you even get there, I'm I'm going through article through article through article, and my first thought is like, holy shit, the Russians are doing something crazy. They're you know they're funneling this data. They're doing they're accessing your photos without your permission. But the more I read, people actually like engineers have chimed in and they've said, you know what, FaceApp isn't doing 
anything sketchy, they're doing fairly normal and mundane procedures and protocols. This is the general terms of services in the industry, right? Well, I mean, I don't even, before it's, it's even related to terms of service, they're not doing anything crazy. They're taking your photo, the ones you submit, they're not going in your phone and taking, scraping up all, they're taking the photos you submit, they're using AWS, which is Amazon's cloud, yep. they're using Google's cloud. Yep. Um, after some time, I think they delete it, and they're not sending any information back to the servers outside of like metadata. So, so it's nothing so sketchy. So it's all staying here within Amazon and Google. It's nothing sketchy, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. So the, it occurred to me that the, only story the, the only story behind FaceApp is that it's a Russian-based app, and that has people shook right? because of the whole because the whole Cambridge thing, Analytica yeah. uh, 2016 yeah. U.S. election yeah. scandal, all of it, yeah. understandably so. So that got me thinking because honestly, I didn't know it was Russian when I used it, and backtrack, I, I, I didn't even know. use it. Yeah, the, my brother sent me a picture of my face. That's already been aged, and they got me thinking. But you, they already have your face on there now. This, this, yeah, this this uh, girl I got on Facebook was like, "Oh, uh, I'm not giving my data away." I'm like, "Yo, listen, you don't need to because your I friends, have your, data. your friends are running your face yeah. on there. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I have so many people. You know what? I ran your thing too. Yeah, like I, could, I have everyone's picture. I was like, I was so curious before I read any articles. I ran all my close people, and and then I read. I was like, oh shit, I feel bad for all y'all. So before <laughs> you say that, yeah, FaceApp doesn't have my data. Think twice. Think about your friends and what they, you don't you don't know. You There's don't a good know, chance yeah. it might. Yeah. But that aside, man, I'm like, okay, so this is a Russian company. And that has people show no one's doing anything sketchy. All the procedures are fairly normal. Yeah. So it really got me thinking, man. Um, how many people would have opted out of downloading it had they known it was a Russian-based app? Right? I don't know. But there was articles saying, um, Here's the quickest way you should delete it, and this is why you should get rid of it, and, and tutorials on how to get you know face app off your phone. So it got me thinking, man. I did some some research. Uh, American based? No, <laughs> <laughs> no. Nah, but at one, once upon a time, we put food into our body without knowing what it was. Uh, processed processed food was increasing in market stores, you know, in, in stores across the country, and there was no ingredients there's no labels until the fda stepped in yep. i think in the late uh, 60s or early 70s and then mandated from here on now if you mm -hmm. manufacture food you need to disclose what's going into it so it got me thinking maybe it's time for nutritional apps nutritional labels for our apps you're saying like a fda kind of thing where we have like a body that regulates disclosure requirements for apps maybe not regulate but maybe disclose so that would be the disclosure requirements, you know, but you, you I mean, you require, no, okay. but here's the thing, right? Those requirements are already disclosed in the terms of service. Okay. The problem is nobody reads terms of service. So the next step is like, okay, terms of service are these doc, you know, this, this lengthy document that usually takes over an hour. I think they did a study yeah. and they found out it takes on the, the average person over 60 minutes to read it. Even when you read it, it's like and so difficult. To some understand. of the language, like you said, is, is like, you know, legalese, yeah. the average person can get it. So we have this opaque barrier between the consumer and understanding what their app is doing, what it's doing with your data, how it's handling your privacy. Is it selling your data? So I think there is a need for a nutritional label for our apps. I want to see a little sticker in the app store that tells me this app, maybe using icons, right? Like when you, on the back of your shirt, there's a little iron telling you how to wash your clothes, right? Something similar. This app sells your data to third party 
third parties. It uses your camera. It, um, it monetizes your location data and tracks your cookies, tracks sure. your browsing data. So like for Facebook, you know, the concept that I really started thinking about is tracks your porn. <laughs> nutritional labels for apps. You get what I mean? A little I, I totally simple get it. visualization. It's like bullet points on the on the app somewhere. It's like disclosure requirements. Icons. Yeah. Yeah. All the things they do that are right. somehow using your data, it gives you notice without right. having to read the terms of service. So data could be one category. Yeah. We should have another one called privacy. Yeah. I want to know, are you tracking me? Um, are you tracking my location? Are you selling my location cookies. data? Are you selling my, you know, yeah. if, if I'm buying something on another service like Amazon, do yeah. you know that? Yeah. Um, if I'm saying something into the mic, like a keyword like yeah. <laughs> obey, <laughs> am I going to see ads on Instagram? <laughs> The next step would be like data handling. How do you yeah. handle my data? Where do you store it? How long do you keep it? And all of this. And I think it should be simple, digested, bullet points. It should be a nutritional label, just like the back of your Coca-Cola bottle, right? You have calories, protein, just a very simple visualization, like a graph, a pie chart or something, using icons, a quick and easy way for people to digest the terms of service without spending, spending 60 minutes to I, read it. I love the idea. And I love the idea. You know what we need? Federal Congress to do this. We need the Congress. I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think so. No, I think there's a much better way. How so? Machine learning. So imagine that I should preface this. I should preface this. You're saying fuck regulation. We can have a company that does this for everyone. Yes. And I think that company should be Apple and Google in their play stores. Even better. I love because Congress is so slow. No, you don't need Congress. You just need algorithms. When you, when you can take Congress out, that's great. When you can just use tech, man, that is incredible. Well, think about it, bro. You're like, a self-regulating you know, mechanism without the need to pass these laws. you know. And I want to say this isn't regulation. This is transparency. That's Yeah, I would agree. I would totally agree. Another category, by the way, I, I think I missed the whole thing, should be country of origin. I want to know yeah. which country is this app created in? Who's funding it? Because I found out some crazy shit. Um, a colleague, a professional colleague I follow on Twitter, tweeted in response to the whole face app thing, a really fucking scary fact. This uh, app, which is kind of like a whiteboarding app called Miro, it used to be called Real Time Boards, and essentially it's been becoming increasingly popular in the design community. People are hopping on there and kind of like diagramming their whole process, proprietary innovation stuff, and you know the latest feature they're working on. You have banks that are using it. You have, you know, cybersecurity companies that are using it. This app, I just found out, is funded by a Russian fund. Not just any Russian fund. I think Putin actually has a direct tie to that fund. It's called Skolkovo. S-K-O-L-O-V-O, I believe. I think it's S-K-R-U. And the Skolkovo fund has a bunch of startups you're putting money in. And I think Putin and the actual Russian government is directly dipping in there and, and financing these apps. So this is what you have. You have U.S. banks, police departments potentially, cybersecurity companies, uh, legal institutions using this really cool and intuitive app, not knowing that it's backed directly by the Russian government, which could be in direct conflict. Now, the interesting part is that when I went on Google and I started doing research, I could hardly find the link between them. The company is not based in Russia. They have like a headquarters in Singapore. They have an R&D in, in Silicon Valley. 
I mean, I, as, I, as an attorney, these are traditional yeah, like, I could loopholes. Easily, like, I could easily open tactics. a headquarters for them here. You could recognize these yeah. are evasion tactics. Yeah. And it's, you go, they have a little map uh, of all the locations, nothing in Russia, right? But Skolkovo is funding them. So this really got me thinking, like, today this is a silly filter app that, that ages us and does silly shit with our faces. But yo, what if a federal institution is using an app that has been directly funded by the Kremlin, right? So this whole approach to transparency, I don't want to regulate anything. I just want to bring transparency. And this reminds me of like uh, my Google Scholar concept that I did, which is I take the same approach for scientific articles, right? Mm-hmm. I think the way you empower people and users is you don't regulate and you don't tell them this is bad, this is good. You show them the facts. Hey, listen, this app has been funded by the Russians. It sells your data to third-party apps. It uses your camera. It uses your mic. Do what you will with that information. Download it. Don't download it. It's on you. But at least now you know. And you can make an informative decision. So I feel like this approach of bringing transparency, man. Yeah, I would say this is it's not needed. regulation, but transparency. It's needed, yeah. yeah. Regulation gets a bit... Regulation you know, is when you get uh, government involved, involvement, you know. And I think it's fairly easy. It's fairly easy for like Apple or Google to use machine learning, parse through the TOS, right? It's fairly standard legalese and kind of try to extract certain things with confidence. Like we're fairly certain that... You're using third-party data. You, like, know, you know what I can see is so valuable? What's up? A startup that focuses just on that. Potentially. And that ties in with Google and Apple, you know? I could see so much value in that. That can go through terms of services and then break it down to what they do. Where's Ty to at, bro? Point. Let's get Ty onto this. I, I swear, dude, I could see so much value in that, man. People will love that. Uh, yo, yeah. we should hit up Ty and then see what he thinks about this. I think it's like MPL, right? Yeah. It's like you're parsing pretty standardized legal text. Yeah. And it, I mean, it kind of repeats, right? There's only so many potential. ways yeah, you, you can word, yeah. we sell your data. At and some you, point, you're going to have to spell could, it out. Yeah, and you can think about the, what the, okay, this means they could track your location. This means they could sell your location data. This means they can do this. It's just the p- potential, what they can do. And that's all people need to know. You know, this is what they can do with your data. Yeah, yeah. And the question is, do you want to use it or not? I think it's so great, man. You can have like a little bullet point use, and then I think it's incredible. And imagine this thing in the format of a nutritional label on the back of your protein bar. Just a little quick snapshot, little Mm -hmm. icons, maybe little graphs telling you like the severity of the privacy invasion. Just very simple, quick. So you can kind of glance at it and like, oh shit, the red is all the way to the right. I'm not fucking with this. I'm not downloading it. We could have like a privacy yeah. scale too, you know what I mean? That's what I meant, yeah. yeah Just like, little scale. This is a red, five out of five when it comes yellow. out of privacy, yeah. So I'm, I'm envisioning this nutritional label for apps. I think you're, you're so on point when you say Google and Apple. And I think, I think it's the people who actually, I think, man, they have a duty. I think they have a duty to put it on the App Store, whether it's the Google App Store, the Apple App Store, you know, I think they have a duty, man. Forget loss. Like I think yeah, they have a duty yeah. to their own consumers. Just an obligation. Like an obligation, man. This is like ethical hey, perspective. Yeah. Just <clears throat> like, yo, we should do this, you know? We we should let our consumers know what each and every app is doing, what kind of data they're taking. Yeah. It's a big, big problem. It's a big issue. I, I need to know. I don't want to know about it after the fact. You know, who who who's gonna read the fine print? Break it down for me. On that note, just to prove that nobody reads fine print iTunes had a clause in their terms of service where it says you cannot use this software to design or manufacture chemical, biological weapons and missiles. This is an iTunes. 
And I think it took years for somebody to finally spot that. Obviously, it was a joke, right? But it took years for somebody to be like, yo, you can't use iTunes to make chemical weapons. You didn't even have to put that as a term of services. No, you know why? They did it as a joke, yeah. just to prove a point. Wow. Just Incredible. to prove that nobody reads those things. Incredible. And I think it took years for somebody to like find that clause and be like, oh shit, it's like an Easter egg they snuck yeah. in. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I imagine they have so much great data as how much time people actually spend before they read it and before they actually download it. I think the average TOS takes 60 minutes to read or something. I read something along those lines. I would so not be surprised, no one, man. No one, no, no one does it, man. I've yeah. never done it. Yeah. End to end, the yeah. whole thing, never. Never. Maybe little glances, little sentences here. There's no way. Yeah. And I think that's almost like a, uh, an obfuscation technique. If we bore you to death with 40,000 words and we sneak in that one sentence, like that's not fair. Right, like you need to highlight, and we need to standardize TOS, bro. Like you can't just—it's like saying I got to read a novel before I hit right before right. I have an app. It's, that's not, it's, it's not fair. It's just like no one has the time to read a novel. I just think in ten years, I really—I tweeted this shit earlier. Um, I really hope in ten years yeah. we look back and just in shock as to how opaque the consumer software is to the average consumer. Like we put shit on our phones that we don't know what it does. We don't know what it does with the data it collects. We don't know who's taking it, who it's selling it to, or why. I mean, the why is always profit, but sometimes it's more nefarious means. Mm -hmm. Like, at some point in human history, we did the same with food, right? Like, we put food into our bodies that we had no idea who put what in there, uh, where it came from. The same thing is happening today with drugs. You know, we lost a friend from- Fentanyl. Possibly. Yeah. And other so, things, yeah. The same thing today is happening with drugs. People are spiking that shit with you, different you substances. You don't know. There's no, and yeah. you don't know. Especially when you buy on the streets, you don't know. And that kind of highlights the importance yeah. of transparency, man. We need, if we need to know and we demand to know what's going into our bodies and our food, maybe it's time we need to do the same with our phones. This is the most personal device you have on you. Like, it sleeps with you. For, a lot of people have it under their pillows. The mic could be on. It can record, Lord knows, your pillow talk and what you do in your spare time at 2 in the morning. I mean, I, this is the most personal device yeah. that we have. Yeah, I mean, there's apps that, uh, for people who snore, where they record voluntarily. You know, who knows what's done with that data. And here's a crazy, a crazy study I read. This is like five years ago. Um, your phone microphone asks, iOS asks you for an explicit permission. So if you use like a, a voice recorder app from the App Store, you would get a notification saying, hey... This app wants to use your microphone. Do you give it access, right? Does that mean I give it perpetual unlimited access? Let's say you hit no. No, you're not using my mic. So the developer has no way to access your microphone. So you think you're safe. But there is a study that basically found a way to use, I believe, your accelerometer or your gyroscope to detect tiny vibrations in the phone when you talk near it. Right, because sound that's emitting from my throat right now is just nothing but vibrational waves that are actually vibrating objects around me. So if my phone was a foot or two away from me, it ever so subtly vibrates and the accelerometer can pick up on those vibrations. So just by accessing your accelerometer, which does not require permission, somebody could potentially recreate speech. Even though you said you can't access my mic, they're like, cool, we don't need your mic to know what you're saying. We have access to your accelerometer because Apple doesn't ask a developer to ask for permission. So the danger is, I mean, and that's like years ago. I read this shit years ago. 
today, man, who knows what kind of techniques. I'm sure the accelerometers are better and the, 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 the new iPhones are more sensitive. Uh, you could pair that with the accelerometer, maybe come up with some new set of data. This is the most personal device that we have. And we're gladly willing to put an unknown app by an unknown developer or just a for known shits app and by or, a known or developer. Known, yeah, just for shits and giggles. Yeah. And that's kind of scary, man. Like, think about it. Like, in 10 years, I really hope we're at the point where this is just ridiculous that we put crazy apps. And if you're scared of FaceApp, by the way, you should definitely look into Facebook because what they do is 10 times scarier. Nothing I think is as scary as Facebook as you said. Dude, the old Bay thing story, I, I wish I could tell people or I wish you would expand upon that story, but I, I've heard enough stories and then personally experiencing it with you all. God damn, man. That Instagram ad. You know what got me thinking, right? Like I think Larry Brin or Larry. No, it, wasn't, it wasn't Larry. I'm sorry. Sergey 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 One of them, yeah. and I think Zuckerberg went to Congress. I think Congress asked somebody, are you using, are you listening? And He's dropping. So what if, what if they don't use the mic to listen in, but they use the technique I'm referring to right now, where they use your accelerometer. Or I mean, that would yeah. explain a lot of shit. I mean, I don't know, man. I'm just freestyling here, but yeah. the point is, dude, like, we just don't know. I mean, you got the smartest, most brilliant people on the planet working around the clock to figure out how to track you. That's fucking scary. I'm more scared of a capitalistic surveillance complex than I am of the government one, dude, because, I mean, the government turns to the, the, the commercial uh, <laughs> the commercial market for a reason. Not only that, they're bound by the Constitution and all these limitations. Private companies are not. It's incredible, man. Yeah. The, the invasion of privacy is incredible. Yeah. And I almost wonder, even if this, this label that I speak of, if it was created, how much would people really care? I mean, cool, so what? They, they sell my face, they had a big deal. Let me just see what I look like when I'm 76. Yeah, you know what it reminds me of? It's like food in a way. It's a good point. You know, a Big Mac has 300,000 calories, people will, but that some people tastes won't. good, so yeah. you just... Yeah, some people, but the thing is, it's there. It's needed for the, for those who care. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to argue that you're better off without it than you are with it. So yeah, It is. I haven't actually visualized it yet. I don't know what this looks like, but I tweeted a yeah. few concepts of like uh, some interesting takes that yeah. a few designers like reinvented the traditional food label and they turn into like a visual mm -hmm. graph. But who knows, man? Maybe that's, mm -hmm. maybe that's the solution. Maybe it's not. I think there's ways to do it. I think it should be on the App Store. I think it's right before you actually download it on your phone. And then I think it's the moment you're about to accept the terms of services. Yeah. There should be another one. I think it should be two. Maybe. A lot of people don't read the descriptions. You know what I mean? Yeah. You, sometimes you got to expand upon the descriptions, you know? Um, so I think there should be two, like, at a minimum. At the time of downloading and at the time of accepting terms of services. But like, hey, FYI. Um, for your data, this is what this is how your app, this app handles it. To go back to your earlier question, would I try BCIs like Neuralink? At, at this initial stage, this is what has me so skeptical, man. I don't, know, I don't know if I want to try Facebook, and this has been around for ten years plus. Why so? I mean, imagine if the same issues we're having with Facebook. Imagine now that you got some shit in your brain. <laughs> Like maybe Neuralink has good intentions. Maybe they store your data, they encrypt it end to end. But what I'm afraid of is like the Russian government fucking hacking their servers, 
building a quantum computer, cracking their encryption. Like you just don't know. I think the stakes are so high that I feel like with age, I'm getting more reluctant to jump blindly and headfirst in excitement to test new tech. And I think I'm getting a little bit more skeptical, like, all right, and maybe there's just a sign of wisdom where patience, I know we all want cool shit. We want um, to, you know, have the latest and greatest and, and do things that were never possible before. But like, yo, at some point, you got to ask at what cost, man. And I think a lot of the new kids, the, the new gen, just like us, I think they're repeating the same pattern we did, man. They're just, it's cool. Like, yo, imagine you plugging some shit into your ear and I can see Naruto fucking run through, you know what I mean? Like without a TV anytime I want. Without mushrooms. Yeah, I can Ayaska. see, I can trip without uh, psychedelics. So I get it. I get it. Because I think we, we were those kids once upon a time on Facebook, on MySpace. But I feel like as adults, I don't know. I'm a, I'm a little more reluctant, man. Skeptical. Would you try? When would you try BCI? When would you let a fucking Elon sewing machine put 1,700 needles in your, scu- in your skull? I, I think it's similar to the Tesla phenomenon. Like, first you see it come out. You see how prone it is to error. You see, you know, uh, the pros and cons of the tech. And then you let it develop to a certain stage. You're like, oh, okay, this is a great car to get. I don't see why not, you know? Uh, I would say similar to B, uh, the BCG and Neuralink. I would see what news comes out, um, the error rate, if there's severe issues. I would I would give it at least five to seven, three to seven years, I would say. And then sometime in between, maybe shoot on it, maybe not. And then I would also think about my own lifestyle and what benefits it would have for me. I would Because this is like me, this is the epitome of me saying, hey, y'all, I've officially, officially become humanoid. You know, this is like you entering into cyborg, cyborg realm. Like you, uh, Here's the issue. Yeah. If you were a kid in high school in 2007 and you weren't on MySpace, uh, sorry, Facebook, there is a really high chance you might have missed a few parties. You might have been left out at a lot of social activity, memes, inside jokes, mm-hmm. communication that happens digitally that you're just like, nah, I'm, I'm not going to be on Facebook. And there was a lot of those, man. I think we're, we're old enough to see oh, yeah. and remember a lot of our friends were very reluctant at first to hop on Facebook. Right? I remember, yeah. There were some people that I feel like it was almost like a counterculture, like, man, fuck that. That's for lames. I'm not on there. Yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna, I'm gonna push back. so many people, yeah. I was not the earliest, I got I to gotta admit. Word. I wasn't the earliest on there. Damn, I was early as hell, I, was, I, I would say. For me, I want to say it was like 10th grade. 11th, maybe 11th, I don't know, so somewhere have, there. Yeah, I probably got on like 8th, 9th grade, 8th, 9th grade. I don't yeah. remember specifically, 8th, 9th grade. It's just as soon as it opened up to like outside mm-hmm. of colleges. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I remember on. that moment. Yeah. I remember like not jumping in head first at first, but yeah. my point is this. Those kids, like maybe myself, maybe I missed out on a lot of social things that were happening on Facebook that I just simply, I missed the zeitgeist. I missed the times. What if the same shit happens with BCI, bro? What if all your coworkers get it and they excel at their jobs and they get, I mean, they just smoke past you. That's what I'm afraid of here, right? Because like, if this comes to fruition, BCIs could mean at some, I don't know. Do you get what I mean? Like, I mean, it's like the cyborg phenomenon. They're going to have steroids. Yeah. It's like, there's some kind of edge that they might have. They might have access to the cloud and they'll have access. Let's say for my profession, they'll have access to all the law, right? All the cases. And some issue gets hurt, and they just think about it, and then boom, 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 boom. They back. got a Google and Assistant. I'm ready to stand, and I'm ready to go. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's scary. That's what I'm afraid you might know? happen. Where a lot of people might either either feel like they're left out, 
or be for real left out. Yeah. We're like, how do you compete with a cyborg? It's the thing is, if I see that, like, I'm competing. I'm a competitor. That's what I'm saying, though. Like, I, I, I got to be the best, you know? But you just said three to seven years. What if that means 17 months? What if that's like a year and a half in and you start seeing noticeable performance increase in these people, your colleagues, and yeah. your in opposing attorneys that are just processing and crunching through numbers that you can't. And maybe that period hasn't elapsed yet where we know it's safe. It, it reminds me of game theory in a way. When I know I'm up against a beast like that, I'm like, yo, listen, we got to settle this thing quick. <laughs> <laughs> we got a beast on the other end, an AI. Be careful. Or, hey, client, you better pay me for this surgery. We, we about to go to war. <laughs> it's You're, scary man it's scary i'm being real as hell but that's the thing though like yeah. that's that's my fear it's, it's like scary. we all say oh we're gonna wait this shit out and see if it's safe yeah but what if you don't have that luxury of time sometimes you don't man you might not especially when you're in a competitive area like if i see someone on the other end and they're opposing counsel and they're a cyborg and they're like hooked up to the cloud i'm like hell we got problems we're gonna have problems like this is scary I think if there was an alien history book of our species, I think it would document this phenomenon of us being neck deep in shit that we created without thinking through ramifications and consequences. Absolutely. I think we've built this digital world, this technological world, um, without really thinking through. And in, in our defense, I don't even think it was f possible to think through things the way they are today like when you created a facebook account in 2010 there was no way for you to be concerned that one day this is going to sway the election of the country because some foreign entity is going to use psychoanalysis to to peddle fake news in our defense i don't think it's possible so maybe it's just the good comes with the bad man maybe maybe this is just the nature of tech you can't wait it out and see only the the good i mean you got to kind of jump in and, and see what happens and the other thing is we can't have year-long philosophical debates about all oh, the ramifications yeah she's got to move and, we got to move and if you don't guess what the next the next guy will yeah man it's like it's a scary environment reminds me of uh, what george w bush did in 2004 he banned uh stem cell development and research in the united states all, all right. that meant is just went to china it's going to go somewhere else like yeah, somebody else is going to do it there were scientists here that they're going to colombia or some other south american country too where they allowed it they're like, all right, Word. you're not going to allow it here. We're going to go to another country that does. Same same thing. And run with it. And run with it. And guess what? They did that. That's the scariest thing about like capitalism in a way, man. Yeah. It's like profit is profit. And if you can shortcut your way to it, if you don't do it for ethical reasons, the next guy is. And there's some beauty in that, too. It's like when Tesla was first coming out. Do we really trust semi-autonomous, autonomous vehicles? Should we? It's like everyone's yeah. like, no, hell no. Let's not do that. But guess what? worked out really well so there's like there's there's good use cases yeah, for sure like, but tesla's a great use case i want to point to facebook it's a bad one yeah the cons are like facebook is a scary one man it's a scary one and just to be clear like i don't to this day i mean i'm in the industry i'm in the tech world i don't know with 100 percent confidence if there was tampering on the election but i think the general um narrative is that there was well what i can remember is there were various issues and one of them was how the advertising was getting used on facebook essentially when you have advertising for elections you got to put disclosures so there was yeah. a lot of groups there was a lot of pages being created no what i'm a saying lot of is ads uh, being put out without the proper disclosures and you wouldn't know it was backed by russia money right 
that was the, one Which of the biggest. Which is almost like the face app thing, It's right? the same thing. So that was one of the biggest issues. Holy shit. You're seeing ads. You think it's relevant mm. to this election. It's, it's pro-Trump. You don't know. It, and it's anti-Hillary, but you don't know it's being backed by Russia. Right. It's like, whoa, 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 big red flag. If I know phenomenal. this is backed by Russia, uh, this is the way I'm giving this ad. You know what I mean? Right. And now, yeah. Twitter is actually, and I think Facebook, they've implemented these yeah. uh, informative features where you can click, you can see who's funding it, yeah. how much money or something they're putting into and that's it. That's why they took that very seriously. And the other thing was there's all these pages and groups putting out all these memes and all these things, and you also don't know who's funding these memes. But the question is, I, I, know, I know the Russians have like yeah. $100,000 like, center that literally hired people to come up with fake news and stories. Yeah. But the question is... I'm, I'm just saying, I'm, I don't know what level of confidence we could say it did interfere with the election, but I think it's significant. I, I don't yeah. think it's marginal yeah, at no, this no, point. No. I don't yeah. know if, if it, that's the main reason it went the way it did, but I think we can't ignore the fact that it was significant. Yeah. It played I mean, a significant it reached role. hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people, all advertising. Right. I mean... And from what I remember... And it was very targeted. It was very targeted advertising. From what I remember, the difference between Trump and Hillary winning was, I think, 70 or 80,000 people or like close to 100. It was a very small margin, Well, there's, there's two things. There's the populist vote, meaning who right. got more votes in total. Trump won by very little there, but the that's populist, not what determines... Yeah. The electoral college. The electoral co yeah. college, exactly. He yeah. won by a bit more on the electoral college just because he won key states. But even then, you know... Yeah, there was a lot of people who voted pro-Trump, and they were the ones receiving all these ads. Mm -hmm. So it's like you got key voters who were voting pro-Trump, well, and who were getting these ads. Somehow they were specifically targeted with these Russian-backed, Russian-funded ads. Somehow that was that was a scary part. The somehow, and then there was no disclosure. The somehow was a personality test. Mm -hmm. Run by the Cambridge professor. The Cambridge. So yeah, the, I think yeah. The Cambridge Analytica. Yeah, this guy basically had this one of those. Find out what your personality is here. Take the test. And at that time, nobody taking that test could envision that it was going to be used maliciously against you uh -huh. to feed you fake news. Which kind of brings me to the back to FaceApp. We don't know how this face data of. 150 million people have been collected on FaceApp, yep. by the yep. way. Yep. We don't know how it's going to be used yet. Like At that time, just because we can't imagine a scenario mm -hmm. where it could be malicious, mm -hmm. that doesn't mean it's not some some scary scenario that's about to unveil itself in the future, mm -hmm. right? Deep fakes are an interesting one, mm -hmm. right? Um, I'm not sure how potentially deep fakes could affect or it could be weaponized. You heard about the porn phenomenon, right, with deepfakes? Honestly, that was the very first time I was aware of any what a deepfake was when a Reddit user yeah. started putting uh, like actresses on porn stars using deepfakes. I think that was like the scariest part about the deepfakes. Guess, guess, guess what, though? Virginia is the first state to outlaw deepfakes for revenge porn reasons, I believe. Yeah, but revenge porn. What if it's not revenge porn? What yeah, if it's yeah. like, I have a software now? You can yep. just throw someone's video or picture or something. I'm not, don't quote me on that. Yeah. I'm not sure if it's just porn related, yeah. but I knew, I knew there was actual deep fake legislature passed in Virginia, okay, yeah. which is look into really that. interesting. That's interesting. This yeah. happened about two weeks ago, and it caught me off guard because uh, Virginia's not the most progressive of states, yeah. right? There must have been something serious then. It, it gets you thinking, doesn't yeah. it? Like, how did that become an issue for the guys out in the delegates and the senators right. to pass this bill? I'm, I'm surprised I didn't hear about it. Yeah, my boss being in the Senate, yeah, I'm like. But that being said, man, I have no idea what what this data could be used for in the future. 
And that's the thing. It's like mm-hmm. a Facebook phenomenon. It's we like a question know. mark. That's what we I don't read. Know. It's just a question mark. We don't know. We have to take the question We're mark. We're saying all, you know, but it's, it's just a question mark. We really don't know. And yeah. apparently to create this, they've used hundreds of millions of photos, if not billions of photos, to create the AI in itself. They're saying that, that mm-hmm. I was reading another article where they're saying there's libraries of so mm-hmm. many photos. And that's how they really trained the AI here, you know. So it's not like they didn't have millions of photos to begin with. Yeah. You know, but now they have access to real, like, people that voluntarily put it. Who knows? It's a big question mark. It's a black box. The problem is what happens when they can use fingerprinting techniques and tie your face to your social media account. And they start creating fake Facebook accounts with your information. So you have 800 versions of your account somewhere floating on the internet. Do you know what I mean? Like then Facebook has a war against this company, man. It's just Facebook has to need. I feel like then Facebook becomes responsible, not me. Yeah, but still, yeah. I mean, they were responsible for the 2016 election sway, but yeah. it didn't matter in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. Like things unbe- yeah. happened the way they did. It's like it's like you you've always said technology is always responsive to problems. They always see a problem and then they respond to it. And I, I could see that happening again. Yeah. It's just it, it, it's just how it works. You see a problem, you're like, holy shit, blows up, boom. All right, how are we going to counteract? We're going to have uh, this algorithm or we're going to have the, uh, create this AI and we're going to train it based on this data, you know? Mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, Facebook has to be very responsible with the way they proceed. And To be fair, though, man, it's almost like an unfair burden of responsibility. Like I think with, my, what do you say, the Spider-Man code? Great power. Comes responsibility, right? Comes great responsibility. I totally, that, it's, it's a philosophy, man. I really believe in They have so much power. They're a hundred billion plus dollar, you know, company. Um, they, they have access to billions of user data. I think with that kind of power. How yeah. many users did I have? Do you know, over some billion. It's, it's one, two. almost two. Almost two billion. I think it's over two. It's over two. Sure. The problem is that at at this scale, of Facebook, when you're creating a feature or you're trying to solve a problem, the margin of the error is like impossibly low. Like if you get one percent off, one percent of two billion. It's like twenty million people. Yeah, but I feel like you know. You got to be held to that high standard. But I'm saying sometimes it's technologically impossible to to get. I mean, even like the, the best artificial intelligence algorithms are within like 90, maybe eight, nine percent accuracy. Mm-hmm. Like at that scale, half of a percent is millions of yeah. people. It's almost like an unfair burden. Like I feel for them on that front. Like mm-hmm. it's they, they, they're literally solving a problem. No other company has ever faced in humanity's history. Yeah. No other product has been used by 2 billion people. There's 7.456 billion people on the planet. Mm-hmm. We're talking a chunk of every human on earth is on Facebook. Yeah. You know what I think? I think you got to give them a bit of leeway at the same time. But even then, like they just got billed 5 billion by the FTC. Nothing. Chump change. It's chump change for them. But, you know, sometimes... Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's great, but that's not going to solve anything. You, you can find them 500. What yeah, is that going to do? At the end of the day, the problem is yeah, still there. It's, it's not being there. solved, yeah. right? So I feel like, you know, there's ways to try to, you know, handle this. But at the same time, I feel like, you know, while you give them a bit of, bit of leeway, you got to also, you know, make yeah. sure and be like, hey, listen, you guys are a key player, man. You guys got so much resources. You have the funds to hire the greatest and the best. I understand. Listen, everything is prone to error. But even then, you gotta always do your best and try your best. What if? But what if there are? That's my concern. What if? What if their best is simply just not good enough? 
I think that's you know, what happened with 2016. But the thing is, I feel like what happened with 16, it was like a big wake-up call. In 2016, Zuckerberg officially laughed. I think he laughed off the allegations he that did. Facebook oh, had anything to do he, with the election. He publicly laughed it off, yeah. He was like, this And two years later, he's in Congress saying, we're sorry. I, I, t- I underestimated, you know, the potential of Facebook being exploited. Right. Yeah, and that's pretty much what he said on before Congress. But, but yeah, I, I, I agree. Listen, that's like, I, I don't think you can be perfect. It's not perf- perfectionism that worries me. It's that Facebook is almost like this. It's like the new platform, the new social platform where ideas are exchanged. And we've had this conversation probably a hundred times about censorship where there's this balance of freedom of speech and freedom of expression and freedom of ideas and, and, and diversity of thought versus protecting the masses against yeah. nefarious uses, yeah. malicious attacks. So it's just finding this balance. And like the question is like, what are we willing to sacrifice in order to prevent bots from existing? Like what if they, they come out tomorrow and they're like, you know what? We have an algorithm that absolutely 100% deletes fake news articles. By the way, though, also it affects normal people, right? Like it, it could affect you and something you share might be mistaken for uh, hate speech. So anything regarding race, if there is a, any undertone of race related issues, not even racism, we just also ban that as well. There's a lot of people who are racist huge. too who post racist things. I'm not talking about racism. Yeah. I'm talking yeah. about if you literally post Moonlight, the black movie or the black mm-hmm. actor movie, and you have that in your header. And the algorithm's like, oh, you use the word black, boom, we cut that off because it potentially could be racist, mm-hmm. right? So now you have this balance where they're killing freedom of expression in hopes of achieving safety and security, mm-hmm. right? So it's this balance. And it's big really, trade-off. It's really, big that, trade-off. That trade-off is what worries me because mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you something, man. It's very easy to, to solve the problem. Shut down Facebook. Right. But you, and then, but you lose all the benefits of yeah. it. So it's like, okay, well, obviously that's a bad idea. Facebook has a lot of social value. There's mm-hmm. a lot of good connects people. Mm-hmm. That's a good thing. We want to keep that. Uh, at the same time, people are different. People have different cultures, different backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Um, racism is defined kind of loosely in different parts of the world. Some countries are more tolerant. Some are more intolerant. How do you kind of treat everybody delicately while retaining security and freedom. And that's what I'm worried about, that they can be like, oh yeah, we'll solve it. We'll cut every fucking link out there that says the word Jew, black, white, do uh, you know what I mean? Any racially related word. Yeah. We have NLP that will, you know, natural language processing that will take care of that. Yeah. But now you're killing the diversity you of You know, thought. it's crazy. They're already doing that in just different ways in different countries. I think you were telling me about Twitter, how, and uh, if you're a German and what they do is they filter out all, Nazis. all Nazi, anti, you know, anything related to Nazis, they filter it out. Right. Whether it's incoming from other people from the world or not, it's already being done in a crazy way if you think about it. It is. And that's yeah. what concerns me, man. It's like this balance, you know, I think Benjamin Franklin had a great quote, people that want, that are willing to risk freedom for security deserve neither or something along those lines. And it's like, it's possible and it's being done. It comes at a huge trade off. Those Nazi, uh, I'm sorry, those people in Germany are being filtered out Mm -hmm. from, you know, otherwise thoughts that relate any whatsoever way 
to Nazi. It could be a great philosophical article, you know, on right. history of Nazis right. and how that affected German history or how that affected the rest. It could be something interesting. Maybe someone wants course, to read it. Of course. Maybe some, you know, some right. young person or older person, they're just an intellectual, you know, they're curious. But it filters out all that. So there's trade-offs. I definitely think so. I could see that why Germany has such strict laws and, mm. you know, they want to get that out the way. But, you know, it comes at it. But I also think the tech is there for, you know, a lot of control. I think the engineers now are, you you know better than me. You're in that world, man. Um, but yeah, it's, it's scary. It's scary. And at the same time, huge trade-off. I don't think we can be perfect. And it's, it's just, I think, you know, you, you see what, you do something, you test it, you see where it's flawed, you improvise. It's, you know, reiterative learning. Yeah, can you, we pause for a second? Yeah. Yeah, who's, who's the rapper you told me about who pretty much was like in line waiting for something? And he made a beat, which he sold like two months after for like a five-figure amount or something, all on an app. Yeah, man. Mad Lib is the producer who put, I think, Freddie Gibbs, his last album out. It's called Bandana. Mm. And he made the whole thing with an iPad. No. The whole, yeah. What? He produced the whole, the whole he, thing with an iPad. He probably used multiple apps to produce. I'm sure he did. Play. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. that's why I hear yeah, most people yeah. do it on the iPad. I love that. That's it's, crazy. It's not even a flex. I think it's like... A sign of hope to kids overseas who are like looking at what we're doing in the US like damn you know I never have the money to get a mic like this I can't afford any equipment I can't get an NPC dude I think moves like that are like really powerful to kids overseas and like in, in developing countries man I think people just don't really get it you know what it really reminds me of like what's that book I think it was bold Mm -hmm. when uh peter diamandis yeah, diamandis yeah. put into perspective he's like you know back in the 80s everything we have in our iphones would have been worth over hundreds of thousands of dollars mm -hmm. and you would need a separate device for each same with music if you think about it you know there's all these different instruments you now have software yeah, on and like it would have cost you hundreds of thousands of dollars to create what this guy's creating probably on you know a few apps and some of them were probably free yeah, he had um, an interview in, I think, Genius, because mm -hmm. like, Genius is getting more into content now. And that's where he said, like, a beat I made on my iPhone, I think he said GarageBand, mm -hmm. just like waiting in line somewhere, sold it for 10K like a month later. That's, that's crazy, man. Yeah, yeah. That's like saying, hey, anyone can do this now, just with like some skills, some understanding of music, and, you know, just knowing what's selling, knowing the sound that sells. Yeah. I mean, like, for me, as a creative, what I also like doing, and I make it a point, I make it a point to produce with, like, everyday equipment. Like, I do a fair amount of, like, photography when I travel. I stick to an iPhone. I mean, even this is being recorded on an iPhone. And to me, it's like, it gets rid of the pressure, right? Because imagine you're a photographer, right? You go to Italy, and I give you a $13,000 camera. The expectations of you taking dope pictures is like through the roof. Like you got the best of the best. It's a lot of pressure, man. And sometimes I think that pressure, when you got the best equipment in front of you, you got like these shore mics that Joe Rogan and everybody uses, the, the expectations are so high yeah. for yourself, not just for others. Like you expect more. But I think if you lower the barrier, it gives you freedom. It's like you have the excuse like, man, these pictures suck because they're shot on an iPhone. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I think about this, like yeah. the whole setup here is just very, you know, we don't have Newmans here. Like, you know what I mean? It's yeah yeah same with um computers 
uh, photography, sound record, everything I do, man. I, I just try to use like the absolute bare minimum because then you can only be pleasantly surprised if you exceed your expectations and everybody else's. It's liberating when you have like really low barrier for yourself and like not much is expected, you know? On the other side of the spectrum, you can go ahead and invest in like the top line equipment, monitors, yeah. but when you don't produce it that's up to par, it's like once you exhaust the limitations of the tools you have, then you're justified to upgrade to the next level. But yeah. before you do that, why? It's like, unless you're creating a Hollywood movie, you don't need... Yeah, yeah. You don't need the craziest MacBook Pro that just came out, you know what or I mean? The, the, yeah, the, the crazy uh, iMac Pro yeah. and all that extra shit. Yeah, you don't need the Neumanns, you know? Like, if you're not Drake or somebody, you know, like, or if you're, if you're not doing some crazy vocals, yeah. like, if you're doing some normal stuff, you just need some, you know, a few hundred dollar mics, that's it. Yeah, and I think a lot of people get lost in the equipment, and I think they get caught up in, in the tech. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna be a photographer, I'm gonna spend a couple racks getting the best you know, lenses, but yo, honestly, if you know what you're doing and you're good enough, you can take an iPhone 4 and have phenomenal shots. And I love this Apple commercial, by the way. Apple did a commercial where the whole ad was shot on an iPhone. I don't know if you've seen it. I, they literally got like top-notch producers I've in Hollywood and gave them an iPhone. I've seen it. Now, like Asterix, they did use like stabilizers and like cranes Lenses. and shit. Yeah, they yeah. use I think accessories. So some, some of the anamorphic maybe. But dude, if you look at the ad, you yeah. can't even tell it wasn't shot on an iPhone. Yo, I remember that movie you showed me. It was like Aired in Sundance. Tangerine. With like the iPhone 6. Tangerine. Yeah, and yeah. at that time I saw that thing. I was like, wow, this is incredible. You know, I can only imagine what an iPhone X or, you know, some of the latest greatest phones could do with the stabilizer and the right lenses and, yeah you know, think, someone who understands shots like psh. It, i think it was shot on an iphone 5 with an anamorphic lens the same ones we had in italy the the moon the moon lab, dog labs, moon dog labs yeah. yeah same one yeah yeah i still haven't seen it by the way but I, I didn't see the whole thing but i was just going through it just to see like you know how it looked it was incredible man they did some great color grading some great editing but even then it looked like it was legitimately recorded on uh, Hollywood camera, the, just the stabilization, you know, they used a good gimbal. Yeah, yeah. Photography in this day and age, videography, man. Mm -hmm. If you have an iPhone, like, you, you literally don't need anything else. I know we've been saying that for years, but with these things, the 10, the 11, whatever, the XS, dude, like, that's next level. Next mm -hmm. level, man. Even built-in stabilization. Um, I think there was a movie where somebody shot it entirely on an iPhone edited it, color graded it. There's this app, by the way, for iPads now called like LumaVision, which is basically Final Cut Pro. <laughs> Identical, like functionality, you could do almost anything you can in Final Cut Pro. That's crazy. For a $20 app. Wow. Yeah, and that's another trend I'm seeing too, man. Like the giants in the industry, like creatively, like Adobe. Wow. Adobe, you know, Photoshop, Illustrator. Yeah, like they're the go-tos for every, every, every industry, uh -huh. right? Adobe really fucked themselves because they moved to the subscription model. Mm -hmm. How so? Elaborate. Like every month you got to pay 20 bucks to use Photoshop mm -hmm. or 50 or 60 or like they have a package where it's like Photoshop, Illustrator and mm -hmm. InDesign for mm -hmm. 80 bucks a month or something like that. And you know, it's kind of a lot of money mm -hmm. for a lot of people. Yeah. Like I know coming up, I never would have paid that. I never could have afforded it. Yeah. I mean, it's the companies that's the bread and butter for them. Yeah, but now yeah. I think what's that what that has done, it's pushed a lot of smaller companies to innovate. Mm. So Adobe's main competitor is this British company called Affinity. 
and Affinity is basically fucking them up. How so? They have a Photoshop competitor called Affinity Photo. That's like I've seen it on the App Store. I've seen it. It's, it was dude, like top one of the top apps. They have an Illustrator competitor called I think Affinity Designer. Okay. And they've re-engineered them from the ground up. Mm. So like Photoshop is a legacy software, right? Like they yeah. it's been around for like thirty years. And, and every not, year they it's add not on. simple either. It's a very complex software. It's there's levels of yeah, Photoshop. Yeah. I mean they they can handle it. Affinity can handle all that shit. No way. And wow. the performance is allegedly like ten times better. Incredible. Yeah. Didn't Photoshop have like one of the most complex codes ever? Like so many lines. Could have been, yeah. yeah. For some reason, I remember that it was there. Or it I was forget. during the Obamacare website. Yeah, it was there. Was some comparison between yeah. the Obamacare website and yeah. Photoshop and Windows. Yeah, and, and yeah. just to put into perspective that how much you know Photoshop has and how long it took and how much money they spent, as opposed to the Obamacare website, which doesn't have millions of lines of code. You know, yeah. I forget, but the crazy part is Affinity costs fifty bucks <laughs> one time payment. One time. One time. So I've been personally, I think Microsoft is on the same tip too with all their sort of the 365. I use it for work for it, mm -hmm. but it's like, you got to subscribe to three and you pay every month. But you just on said it, use it for work. Yeah. I use it for work. I would never, if it was your personal, like, yeah. Are you kidding me? Yeah. I'd, I'd be on Google docs. <laughs> same with Adobe, man. Same yeah. with Adobe. I don't, I, I'm honestly trying to get off Adobe period. Like, yeah. why would you hold me hostage every month to pay yeah. 20 bucks? And there's months where like I might not even use it or need it, right? Like I don't need Photoshop every month. I can't justify twenty bucks a month. That's two Netflix memberships, right? Yeah, you know what's crazy? Back then we would just buy the software, it went off. It would be a disc. And it would be a code. <laughs> yeah. I remember. We would just enter the yeah. code. Yeah. And then that's where we had all the all the key generators. They would generate a serial code, you know, back in yeah. the days. But now it's so crazy. The whole model has changed. <laughs> that's the other interesting part, man. I actually started writing an article about this shit a couple of times mm -hmm. and I never finished it, but Pirating software mm -hmm. really kickstarted a lot of careers. So if you think about it, there's like this really interesting thing I've, I've observed, especially with Adobe, where I would assume the opposite, but continue. Yeah. Well, like the education to yeah. Adobe software was subsidized by pirating. Mm -hmm. So like when I first got my hands on Photoshop, it was like '98, I think it was Photoshop six or seven point mm -hmm. I didn't speak English, didn't understand shit, but I did figure out how to make clouds using one of the filters. So I would just like make clouds and like it would generate random like mm -hmm. cloud effects. So that's what like when I first got introduced to Photoshop and I really got into it in middle school. I discovered, uh, shit, I can't remember his name right now, but there was like this sick guy who was just killing it. He was like in Hollywood doing big, big productions. He was, he was the guy in Photoshop. He was the man. And Obviously, I pirated every single version until like, I think it was called like CS11 or CS12, and then mm -hmm. they switched to the new model. Mm -hmm. And during that time, I learned how to use Photoshop. So here I am from like 10 years old to 21, two years old, like 12 years, I'm pirating Photoshop. I'm not paying for a single copy, right? Then I get a job professionally as a designer. It was a small startup. What's the first thing I do? I'm like, yo, we need to buy Photoshop. So I'm giving them money now. And I'm demanding that we have Photoshop because that's what I've been training myself on through, through, through pirated versions. So I think in a really interesting way, pirating subsidized the education for Photoshop because I couldn't afford it on a personal level. But then I made my every company I've worked for up until I think recently, I've made them buy the Photoshop suite, which is giving them business. You know what I mean? Dang, you just made me think of something incredible. I feel like... What's up, Dad? Man, all these companies that have software that's creative, 
they just need to subsidize it for free to students. They people, do, man. man. That's the beauty of it. It's think like about you shouldn't it. even charge, man. You shouldn't even charge. You should just be like, you have a student email account. You know what? Great. It's free for you until you graduate. You know who got hip to that model first? I know Spotify did. No, not Spotify. I forget. The drug dealers. <laughs> the drug dealers. Elaborate. Tell Bro, me they would it. hand out free samples of their little hair on and get you hooked. And then you keep coming back for more. But that first little dose would always it's be always free. free. Okay. Yo, I've seen the same model in Richmond, man. I moved to, uh, when I was in VCU, moved into my building. My man, Ty, not our Ty, the DMX Ty, who come up and gave me a bag of Fruity Pebbles weed. He's like, yo, man, here's, you know, here, try this. If you like, hit me back for more. Like the drug dealers figured this shit out. You know what it reminds like, me? <laughs> 20, 30 years ago. Reminds me of Amazon Prime. I'm like paying for it now, but it was free when I was a student for like X amount of months or, and then same with Spotify. You get hooked on it. And then they give you a discounted version half the price or something you get hooked on you're like oh this is great i'm saving half the money but i feel like you know companies that have the money they should subsidize students it makes so much sense like yeah, the man. roi is going to pay off the student has a student email account it means they're studying something yeah and they need the software because it's relevant somehow to this field like i didn't i didn't get into you know any of that so i don't i'm not going to sign up for adobe hell right i don't need it but people who do they will get it think about how it pays off you know and, the, and then the education you give to somebody who has yeah. that and then YouTube has all the resources to At learn. At some it. point, they're going to end up in a company with resources. Yeah. And the company HR is going to be like, what do you need to get yeah. your job done? And they're going to say, yeah. Photoshop. Yeah. Because that's what I've been trained on. And let's, yeah, let's say the company yeah. already has it. Great, man. But now you've allowed this kid to otherwise play with a professional multi-million dollar, yeah, yeah. you know, then that took in development just to create. And now, you know, they're getting it for free. It's like what you give back in a way, whether it's kids in India whether it's kids mm -hmm. here, like it's incredible, I think, man, that subsidy in itself. One model that I think I'm seeing a lot lately and I really like is that any new software that I've seen always has a free personal tier. And I think that's really important for the same reasons. Like Figma, for example, I was one of the first people to hop on Figma back when it was in beta. And they promised like, you, we're gonna give you like two or three projects or something free for life. But the hope is that once you get hooked on it, like, damn, this is so good. I need a fourth project, a fifth. Then you're going to start paying. But you should always, always, always give a little free sample in a way to the users and like get them acquainted with it. Because if you charge up front, it reminds me of those rappers like on, on Venice Beach. Remember, we go out there, yo, buy my CD, five bucks. Bro, I don't pay five bucks for Drake. We've had this conversation. Why would I give you five? I don't even know you. You just come up to me with a, with a new CD, right? Uh -huh. Same shit. I don't give Adobe. 20 bucks a month. Like, I don't even know you guys. You're yeah. a new startup. Why should I give you I 20 like, a month? Are you on Spotify? He said no. I was like, yeah, yeah. So it's just like. Hear a free sample, yeah. But the crazy thing is, man, like how the streets figured the, the business models to a lot of these things out like way early, right? Like the yeah. drug dealers like figured this shit out, the whole sampling thing. And Adobe have actually been dicks. Recently, they threatened to sue people still running CS13 or something. Like, if you were in an older version of Adobe, there was like a circulating article online that they were like willing to press charges or something. They're looking forward to, you know, finding out those people, running those illegal versions and pressing charges. Like, yo, these are your users potentially. Right. Like, why are you threatening them mm -hmm. with litigation? Especially when you're a multi-billion dollar company and you're going against individuals. Right. Yeah. Now, the same guy it's, is going to be, the same guy is going to be a director, of, you know, yeah. or, or a higher up who has, who's running a team of five. Like, do you think he's going to get your software? He's yeah. going to go to Affinity. You're, you're, it's just petty. Yeah, man, it's just bad business practice, yeah. man. It's bad business practice. Um, I think that's what it comes down to. Yeah. Um, you know what I thought about, too? It's like game theory in a way from a consumer perspective, especially when you're a student. 
you see, hey, and let's say there's no subsidy option, there's no free option. What do I do? Do I pay hundreds of dollars to thousands of dollars a year or do I torrent? It's an easy yeah. choice. You know, it's a very easy choice. But the weird thing is like, man. so if you're these companies, you know, why have someone sign up for something and not be happy about it? You know, it's not like the moment you subsidize them, I feel like students particularly, it's like you, you show them how great your company can be, you know, and they, once they get professionally into a career, whether it's their, themselves personally or the company, they're going to pay for it. Like, you know, I pay for Netflix, mm. I pay for Amazon, I pay for Spotify. I couldn't afford it once upon a time, but guess what? Now I can. My company doesn't pay for it, but you know what? I, yeah, I, I, you, you I, had a good experience with them. Exactly. And you're like repaying that yeah. you want to continue. That exactly. rela- it's like a relationship, bro. Yeah. That's what it really comes down to. You yeah. have a relationship with these companies. Yeah. They treat you good and you come back. Like a mm-hmm. restaurant, it takes one fucked up meal for you to not come back and one for common, six months. One right? common thing among those three is like they all had a deal for students. Yeah. And they looked out for you I, when I you needed su- it most. Yeah, yeah. I didn't have money and guess what? They subsidized me when I, while I was a student. Yeah. And now I'm like, you know what? You you guys get it. Let me let me give you my money now. But like one weird thing though that I'm definitely noticing is that pirating is dying. It's dead. I feel like, dude, it's so hard to get on good torrent sites. Yeah, I remember, so many of them closed now. I remember back in the day, you could do a Google search. There'd be so much. Kickass torrents, Pirate Bay. Torrance EU was like yeah. the, my favorite Torrance one. Torrance EU, that was big. There were so many. They all shut down, man. Kickass yeah. Torrance, yeah. they all shut down. They all shut down, and now it's just like there's very there's there's been there's an war. There was a war, I think, on Torrance, and it's just like all the servers had to get shut down. A lot of them were like in EU and various places, but they've been all shut down now, man. There's been a war against Torrance. But not only that, I think what's happening generally is that kids are not as technically inclined. To even know how to work them shits. Mm-hmm. Like, they're. It, just, you mean downloading itself? Yeah, man. This whole generation is just like the, this new wave of kids. It's like a catch 22 because they grew up with this awesome tech that's been finessed. You go to the app store, you want something, you tap a button, it gets downloaded. But when we didn't have that option, we couldn't afford it. You had to think outside the box. You mm-hmm. had to be clever. You had to research how this shit works. We weren't on Macs. And, and the thing about PCs in a really interesting way is that. PCs were like a nightmare. There were so many moving pieces. It was so easy for you to fuck something up, delete, delete the system 32 files or something and delete drivers and shit for not to the work. The moment you delete an EXE or DLL file, you're done though. It's I like, that. yeah. And, and I feel like because we grew up on that, we became very handy. We started understanding like systems, systems on a deeper level. And these kids now, I think they're like crippled in a way because it, it's just, Everything is handed to them on a platter. They never had to figure out how to yeah. work a VCR. Yeah. I remember like in kindergarten, man, we had the VCR. I wanted to record, uh, record the Teenage Ninja Mutant Turtles when I was in school. So you just press buttons and you see, I didn't even speak English at the time. So you're just literally hitting buttons. You're trying to figure out, okay, I'm cycling through three options with the mode button. Okay, so there must be these three entities. And then when I hit select, I enter one. So inside of each, and you kind of like map out this mental model of how the system works. Yeah. Now, never you, touch the Windows files. You go to App Store <laughs> yeah. and tell Siri, uh, I want to download uh, Spotify. Boom. App Store is open. Yeah. You hit a button, it's there. So I feel like when we didn't have that luxury, it exercises your mind a lot more. Like you have to figure out and construct these mental models. And like it's like, it's like the gym, right? Like you're working out these muscles in a way. And now I feel like these kids, I don't know if they technically can use torrents, a lot of them. I don't think they can. Anybody born after like probably like 96, 7, I don't think they 
I think the minority can probably even figure out what a torrent is. And I'd, how to I'd work be sure it if you ask most of them, they may have heard of it. They probably never used it. I think everyone now, what I've understood from young kids, you know, most of their parents give them a credit card, and then they just add it on to their account, and they just spend however the parents give them permission for. Yeah, it's like a you know agency relationship. You have authority to spend this much. And also, man, people don't have computers in the traditional sense. Like everybody's got iPads and iPhones. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it made it everything simpler. Apple made everything simpler in a way. Because but it came at a cost. It, absolutely. There was a cost yeah. to it. Because when we had only, like, in 01 to like 2010, people barely used Apple. You know, I think after that, like there was an exponential increase. Whether you look at schools, whether you look at the social environment, whether you look at Starbucks. I wouldn't say it was just Apple. I think people started moving towards to mobile devices. Yeah. Like yeah. there's a lot of kids that have never in their lives owned a laptop, mm-hmm. period. Mm-hmm. Just like an iPad or mm-hmm. a tablet. Mm-hmm. And those are like self-enclosed systems where everything works. Yeah. Um, they don't really give you access to be- under the hood. So you never really, under- it's like driving a car and you never pop the, the hood and you understand how the shit works underneath. Yep. It's like, don't worry about it. It's taken care of. Yeah. And it's great because it eliminates the burden of you trying to like tr- mm-hmm. troubleshoot stuff and fix it. But at the same time, it robs you of that analytical process of just okay how does this work i deleted this this won't open okay this is called a driver what the hell's a driver you research it i think there's a lot to be said for that man mm-hmm. you know that we grew up on pc mm-hmm. i almost think that if you have a kid or something in 2019 20 i think you're better off not giving them tablets and iphones i think you're better off giving them a pc where they can delete shit and fuck it up and and try to figure out what's wrong mm-hmm. and uh i don't know if you just if you know you know the Raspberry Pi? I've heard about it where it's like very cheap and it's pretty much operating system. It's a credit card yeah. sized computer. Yeah. Dude, they just came out with the newest edition. It's like the size of a chip East. now? It's the same size. Okay. I think you could push like two 4K monitors. Don't quote me on this. I mean, it's stupid fat. It's a basic computer, and it's, They're bro. super cheap. $35. <laughs> the size of a credit card. For a computer that... So I, if you look at the commercials... I'm already amazed. Bro, if you look at the commercials, you see a person... Uh, you could plug in like a, a keyboard. You can have a wireless keyboard, wireless mouse. You have this person on a monitor, keyboard, and a mouse, and the actual tower is in front of them, like four inches across. Man, like every single peripheral that they're using is bigger than the computer itself. The computer is smaller than the mouse, which you use to operate the computer. Man, incredible. And it costs thirty five dollars, and it's like a hundred times faster than any computer you and I had in our childhood, bro. I remember exponential man, trends. I remember two thousand. We ordered a computer from Newegg. All the parts. It was over like a thousand dollars. Shout out to Newegg, dude. Yeah. It, it, Tiger it, Direct was the other one. Yeah. Yeah, and it took like a whole day to make it. Day and a, it took a half a day, like to make the whole thing. You had to follow these very complex instructions. You had to like understand what a motherboard is and all these things. Cost yeah. almost a thousand dollars just to make that, and then you're not even sure if it's gonna work out. Now you got Raspberry yeah, Pi's for yeah. thirty five dollars. Man, what a time! Yeah, man, shit is moving fast, man. And on that note, I'm about to make another drink. <laughs> yeah, man. I really wish Twitter, Facebook. <clears throat> I I wish they would take this approach of not trying to play curators where it's like listen anything goes we take no responsibility the problem only occurs when they step in and they're like you know what this is actually bad so we're going to take it off the minute you do that for one article doesn't matter what it is now you're taking the role of policing you're the thought police right you know what the issue sometimes is though it's not even facebook being the thought police it's like the country in itself so let's say germany speech so let's say germany 
great example. Twitter, Facebook, all of them have to abide by various, you know, obligations. Sure, that makes sense. Because of the strict, you know, laws regarding Yeah, so for, to, for people that don't know, um, Germany has, like, they don't have freedom of speech. You yeah. can do the Hitler salute once, that's a crime, you go to jail. You can't wear swastikas, you can't yell out anything. I don't think you can even talk about the history, like... I think Holocaust denial is actually a crime, I Yeah, believe. Holocaust you denial You can't go and say the Holocaust, the Holocaust never didn't happened. happen, yeah. Boom, that's a crime. Yeah. So... Germany, for people that are not hip, is not a free speech country to the same extent as the U.S. Yeah. is. And I agree with you. Where a lot that of, should be... A lot of Islamic countries, you can't right. say F God. You can't say F Allah. But what yeah. about America, though? We have freedom of speech. Yeah. So it's funny to me when the limiter of free speech usually is the government. Mm -hmm. But in this in this case, it's, usually a, it's a private company. Yeah. That's weird to me. But you know what I'm saying? It's like... I. I'm seeing Facebook and all throughout the world, and then I'm seeing these countries saying, "Hey, we don't want this speech on on, on Facebook." And fair enough. That At that point, yeah. I'd say fair enough. You're yeah. the country; we abide by your laws. We take Th it. So down. that's what they're doing. Right. But then they're doing a bit extra too, like you know, with Twitter. Um, would you say um, Twitter? No, what? they're doing the extra shit in the U.S. where the country says, "We don't give a fuck what you you, yeah. you take down." And then they start taking and, the shit. Yeah, and then they start taking That's the down. problem. Yeah. Yep. If Saudi Arabia tells you nobody can post about mm -hmm. criticism of the government and you take it down, that's fine. You're simply I see what you're saying. You're, you're, you're at issue with the opposite where right. it's a wild, wild west. The but law then you're gives you the freedom. Yeah, yeah. And you're artificially setting limitations to freedom. That, mm -hmm. that doesn't sit well with me, man. And I think the future of social media is a blockchain decentralized approach, uh, which to be fair – has its own dangers because yeah. the danger is once you say some, if somebody says something crazy, an ISIS video that's really efficient at recruiting is put up, it cannot be taken down. Nudity so on Instagram gets you bad. Right. Rihanna, I think one of her accounts, because she was wearing some see-through top or something, she was like, Word. She, her account got banned or temporarily suspended. She's like, F Instagram, fuck it. Like, I'm not on here no more. But she came back on at some point. Rihanna has the privilege of picking up the phone, calling Jack Doris, be like, yo, listen, man, put me back on the shit. Yeah. But she, it's just like, do it's like, come on, nudity, really? You know, it's it's a form of speech, you know? Listen, man, that's okay. You know, honestly. Like, we're, this is America. Like, if people want to post themselves, post themselves, and nude in some aspect are we really going to regulate that facebook does the same thing guess what i, I try posting something nude on facebook but you, check this out though they're private companies Snapchat. yeah they're private companies they they have all the right to determine what's okay oh no not. we know that very well and i'm cool with that but i thought you weren't i thought you said they can't be censoring what, what i'm saying is i'm cool with a private company getting to set up its own uh sensibility but what worries me is it just so it happens to be the biggest social platform in the world? Yeah. And there's no other alternatives that like scale to that same uh, population level. That's what scares me. If you want a kid-friendly app that's going to be, you know, PG-13, that's great. But just because kids can't choose stakes doesn't mean you need to outlaw it for the rest of us type of deal, right? Mm -hmm. Like facebook is literally catering to like the lowest common denominator and that lowest common denominator tends to be these uh easily offended millennial um usually liberal i'm not trying to take get political or take sides but just from you know what i've gathered online people that you know demand certain standard that is not really shared by the rest of society and you know california is a fairly liberal state i think the tension is clear right the left versus the right 
the left is running the tech world. Like, there's no, there's no way around it. And the policy. I mean, the people getting fired. There was that guy, Google, was it, who got fired for that memo where yeah. he was saying why um, uh, women are, are not as advantaged as men because of s- certain biological th- uh, Yeah, yeah. James Damore. Yeah, name. and then apparently a lot of scientists came out and said that had a lot of scientific veracity. There was a lot of accuracy in that. But guess what? He got blackballed. I heard. You know, in, in Google's defense, I'm with you 100%. In yeah. their defense, uh, maybe this the workplace is not the, the time or the place. Uh, actually, but the place I think he did it as a personal endeavor. He did it outside of work. He, he posted online on Medium or something. No, I think. no, he posted it in Google internally. Oh. It, it was a Google affair. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. But so were other people. So it's, it's a bit of a gray zone where yeah. I see if I'm an employer, uh, I really don't want you commenting on you know these yeah. sensitive topics. So I kind of get it. It's one thing to do it via medium and then one thing to yeah. do it internally. But I think maybe the pendulum is going to swing in the other way where like society, we as a society decide, you know what? We've had enough of this uh, limiting, censored approach and some crazy blockchain app pops up that's decentralized, can't be taken down. And maybe we, we experience that shift in the next 10 That'd years. I, I think it's not far from reality, man. There's already a lot of uh, blockchain-based uh, platforms. The Medium, which is a blogging platform, there's an alternative called Steemit, which you publish an article, people upvote you, and you actually earn cryptocurrency for upvotes. I, I could really see. I mean, it's just, you know what the biggest issue is, monetizing. Well, that's the thing. It's actually kind of baked in because cryptocurrency and the blockchain go hand in hand. So Steemit is a medium alternative, mm-hmm. which is the, this blogging platform. Mm-hmm. I've put a post on there. They haven't, done perform- they haven't performed really well. So on Medium, for example, I hit top 20 articles of the day on the worldwide. Mm-hmm. If I would have hit that on Steam, I probably would have made $400. On Medium, I got, I don't know, 50,000 views. I don't know how many thousands of likes. That's cool, but it doesn't pay the bills. If I would have done the same on Steam, I might have earned a substantial amount of money, let's say. I'm also thinking as like a company, you know, like if user data, um, it's decentralized in a way where I can't just utilize it. How am I going to monetize? How am I going to have those ads running and make the billions that, that you know, how Facebook, they their cash cows ads, Google, their cash cows ads. How do they, why is their cash cow ads? It's because they have so much user data. That's why all the advertisers yeah. are going to them. That's why they're making a billion advertisements. But keep in mind. So right? how do you, how do you, how do you monetize as a business with this paradigm? Or is, is there going to be a different, is there going to be a paradigm shift? I mean, I'm sure there will be, but keep in mind, Facebook is empowered by us. If tomorrow, in a, by some weird turn of events, everybody decided to delete their Facebook account. You know what would happen to Facebook stock. Right. So Facebook is literally dependent on us, the everyday users, of volunteering away this information about ourselves. And we kind of play into this because of the benefit we get, because of the likes we discussed earlier, because of the social benefit, being connected, uh, knowing what's happening in the social circles. But if one day, we decide, nah, we're done with this shit. Facebook is done. I mean, they're done in the sense that they're no longer going to be valued at what they are. I'm sure the amount of information they've accumulated is, has some inherent value that there will always be a billion yeah. dollar company no and matter what. They have what. their pot in various other places. Sure. Maybe one of those will come to fruition. But the, the social network we know as Facebook is donezo. Like, 
you can't keep collecting new data because people are not uploading new pictures. They're not sharing new statuses. You can't track their... And you can't serve them ads yeah. because they no longer hang out in your party, so to speak. And they don't have your app, so you can't track all exactly. the stuff you track. Yeah. Although they probably have very creative ways of buying information from other third yeah. parties that are tracking you elsewhere. But yeah. that aside, man, I definitely hope that at some point we swing the other way to, towards, towards these decentralized platforms. YouTube is blocking World War, World War II Hitler speeches now and history lessons for World War II because shout of Nazi-related issues. Shout out to Google with the censorship. Yo, fuck that, man. Come on. Google is like up there when it comes to censorship, I feel like. In my opinion, like when I see it relative to the other companies, Google's like just very... Remember um, that one... Like there's just so many various examples Google's like very just if something is becomes a bit sensitive, they they too go, much power, man. Yeah. They have too much power. They go with the road that's like, oh, okay, this is uh, the safer road. Uh, okay, we're not gonna uh, come out and say, uh, you know what, uh, this guy kind of crossed the line. Um, you know, we're gonna let him. Here's where things hurt. get a bit scarier, though. Have you heard of shadow banning? No. Shadow banning, and I think I think I know what it is. Maybe I'm way off, but shadow banning is what scares the shit out of me. It's a way for them to ban you from sharing content and expressing your views without you actually being aware that you're being banned. So let me put it to you this way. Uh -huh. You put a post, crazy political post, right, about, I don't know, your support for Trump or uh -huh. something or the next political candidate. And you hit post, you hit publish. It's on Facebook? On or? Facebook, yeah. right? And, I mean, this concept actually works uh -huh. universally. Uh -huh. But you're on Facebook, you put a crazy post supporting Trump, boom, publish. You think that your friends and your immediate network is going to see it. What Facebook is doing is actually it's showing it to nobody. Because of some algorithm Because they, they chose to. So you can type all you want. Nobody can hear you because their algorithm said, nah, we don't, we're not putting you away. Yeah, we're shadow boxing. What this. do you do at that point? Here you are. You can still publish. You can still speak. But it's almost like the illusion of expression. Well, you're effectively Alex Jones. Banned well, in a way, you know. They cut him off at the fucking yeah. neck. Yeah, but this is maybe a bit but scarier. Effectively, if your post is not this is a bit scarier because, like, they don't necessarily even let you know you that you're being boxed. You yeah. think, oh, all my community is seeing this and nobody likes it because I'm in the wrong. They don't agree with my political opinion. Little do you know that no one actually nobody saw it. is seeing your shit. Hmm. That's fucking scary. So going back once again to uh, the concept I had with the nutritional labels for apps. A similar concept, I think, is needed for algorithms. And we're in Amsterdam at that coffee shop. We're discussing this. Remember the Snapchat idea? I was telling you how in the future I would like to know where uh, the training data is coming from, mm -hmm. how they're training this algorithm. Mm -hmm. I remember uh, this Facebook, I mean, I'm sorry, Snapchat had this crazy filter that was turning everybody into babies. Mm -hmm. In order for that to work from a, a machine learning perspective and using AI. Where, where's this data coming from? Yeah. They have, they needed to have trained an algorithm based on maybe hundreds of thousands, if not millions of millions pictures. Millions of photos, yeah. Which photos are those? Where are they coming from? How do they get them? Or is it from shutterstock.com or is it from private data of some other app that they purchased? Or is I, it their own app? Exactly. I think those things need to be disclosed, man. And I think kind of like the, the overarching theme of this episode, so to speak, is maybe transparency. Transparency and data use by what, big companies in America. Whether it's our data, uh, whether it's our apps, or even algorithms. Dude, we're becoming increasingly reliant on algorithms we don't understand and apps that we don't know. Yep. There are these black boxes yep. that you put something in one end, something interesting comes out of the other, 
grabs her attention. But at this stage in the game, the stakes are so high where elections could be swayed. Uh-huh. Scientific studies could be distorted. We need to have a, a look into that black box. And I think we need some sort of, not a regulation, but transparency. Who's creating these algorithms? Um, if I'm shadow banned on Facebook, maybe I should know that. Maybe, maybe, and maybe you're right. Maybe there is room for another startup company to come in and try to solve these problems. I'm not sure how. I have a feeling that they can't because the these issue algorithms is the monetization are, issues too. But I think before we even get to the monetization, I think just how does how does Facebook work? Like, have you thought about it? When you go in there, you type a status and you hit publish. Have you thought about who sees that status? Do you think? Every single one of your friends is going to see it. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. So which friends do you think actually see it? You have friends from multinational, right? Yep. Like you and I have friends from all, all over, over the world. world. Yep. How do you know which ones are seeing it? It's crazy. We don't. There's no way to know how you know. That's fucking it. concerning, man. It, and I think, you know, it's really good, cool in a way when you post a video, I think, on Facebook, you can see the views. But you, I don't think you can see who actually sees it. So you know what I think would be great? It's like when you post a story on Instagram or Snapchat. You can see who sees it. I think you know a step towards that direction is seeing who saw it. But then it yeah. doesn't. It doesn't fulfill the whole picture. Which you're it saying, doesn't, yeah. who was shadow boxed out and why? Yeah, shadow banned out. Yeah, why is it that no one in Bangladesh saw it? I mean, it gets it gets really complicated. Or why is it that no one at this time saw it? Or right. why is it that you know all these people didn't like? It's like only three people saw it, but no one else, or only one person saw it. What, why is it? Yeah, I don't know. Why is only five people like this know. and 100 people like the next one? Because think about it. I mean, if you think of all the posts, um, even though they're not sequential in terms of time, they're not chronological, right? Like the first post you see right now when, you're, when you log into your Facebook is not, not going to be, be the, the post most that was recent. posted recently. No, right? it's not. Yeah, it's not. It's going to be what Facebook determined is most interesting to you. And it could be from two days ago by somebody yeah. three countries over. Yep. So Facebook here is consciously arranging information and, and feeding you in a certain order. And we have no idea what it's thinking. Not that it's sentient and it's actually thinking, but we don't know what the algorithm is executing on mm-hmm. that's fucking scary and i think people don't realize it but this is at the core of whether it's the face app conversation we had earlier whether it's facebook is that as a society we become so reliant on these black box products and apps that we don't know how they work but we enjoy the the fruits of of, of them and we're content oh facebook gives me uh access to my friends it makes me feel good when people comment on my shit. I'm going to keep using it. I can call someone across the world Fuck, within a second. Yeah. Like, that's all it takes for us to not care about how this shit works. Mm-hmm. And we've gotten, I think, too deep. I think we, we're dependent on machines and apps and algorithms, which we do not understand. We do not, not even understand. We're not even aware of how they work. And we're not privy to the information. The owners wouldn't yeah. even tell us. They, yeah. they have our data, but they refuse to let us know. How it's being used, how it's being shown, how it's the algorithm uses it. The closest I've seen is Instagram has this feature where you can go and you can see what Instagram believes you're interested in in terms of ads. So you might go in your shit and you might see interior design, Katy Perry. And these are topics that Instagram thinks. Do you know about this? Mm-hmm. There's actually a screen on your Instagram app where you can see what Instagram thinks you're interested in. 
And people are just having a fucking blast because they're laughing their asses off. It's so off half of the time. But you might see, you know, Katy Perry, uh, Levi Jeans. And this is what the algorithm thinks you like. I think that's a great step forward. Like that gives me some transparency. When you ask yourself, why am I seeing this ad? They tell you, because you, we think you like jeans. No, I don't. But that's a secondary degree, right? Like then you can correct it because you can remove those. You're like, actually, I'm not interested in denim at all. Maybe there has to be something for just how you said there has to be like a food label for certain things. Maybe there has to be one for why we're showing certain ads as well. Maybe just as how you said there has to be one for apps. Yeah, I mean, they have why, the, why do we see the old old bay ad? Tell me. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't me. quote me on this, but I think there's actually a button that says "Why am I seeing this ad?" on any ad on Instagram. And when you hit it, I think I did it recently, but it just simply tells you because you're you know you're within a certain age range in this county. It's too vague. That's not telling me shit. No, that's too vague. That's yeah. way too vague. Yeah. So it's not there, but at least it's like the approach that I think we need more of. You know what I mean? But on that note, man. Yeah. I think we also need to be able to like uh, turn off certain filters. Like, oh, it's monitoring my mic. Let me t- be able to turn this off. I don't want you monitoring my mic. I don't yeah. want you monitoring my location data 24-7. You should have like a little off on, off on, off on. You know, that'd be kind of cool. I think iOS 13 is bringing a lot of that shit. Yeah. Um, I think I, Apple needs to take a stand. Yeah. Because they're the one that's, the, the device is, is theirs, you know. It goes from the device to the app. I think they need to take a strong, a strong stand as well. Be like, hey, listen, we're going to go pro privacy. We're not going to let these developers just take whatever they want because they have these terms of services. We're going to have an umbrella on top of all this, and we're going to let the users decide. Yeah. I mean, Apple needs to take that stance, but I think more importantly, we do. And that's part of the reason why I'm putting out these concepts. Mm-hmm. Like, I hope that, you know, I'm a, I'm a believer that good ideas catch on. Mm-hmm. So I feel like... That's why we're having these convos. That's why we're on behind these mics. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's why I put out these concepts on, you know, medium and whatnot in hopes that other people see it. They see value, they share it. And, you know, one idea infects one mind to the other and maybe it reaches somebody in the higher ups of these companies. Yeah. Maybe socially just, you know, kind of shapes people's perception of what was acceptable privacy. But to your point, I think that's, that's why we're behind these mics It's just, it's almost like a social obligation because if you don't speak up, Apple has no pressure to implement any of this shit. Yeah, no, absolutely. Or the next startup, you know. Yeah. Um, are you aware of Superhuman? Doesn't ring a bell. Superhuman is this email client which kind of defies all logic. Mm-hmm. It's 2019 and we have an email client like Outlook. They charge 30 bucks a month. That sounds excessive for an email. They have 200,000 people lined up ready to fucking pay really what's so special about it i don't know i was they actually extended the invite to me and when i found out 30 i was just so outraged i didn't even take it uh the guy kept emailing me wanting to schedule like a little walkthrough um i reached i think one of the designers follows me on twitter and i emailed him i was like can i get an invite and he gave me one but when i read like the the 30 a month i was like ah, i'm good i think it's supposed to be really efficient whatever the case is they had a feature that was really interesting, which was when you send an email to somebody, you could see when they open it and you could actually see their location where they're located. So if I send you an email, I know when you opened it or if you opened it and I can see where you're located. Huge backlash on Twitter. Uh, I think the XVP 
of design at Twitter or something, uh, I think his name was Mike something, put out this article saying this is unacceptable. And pleasantly enough, man, the CEO of Superhuman responded and they turned it off by default. They said, we see the community has spoken, that people are not happy with this tracking feature and we're gonna turn it off by default or something. So to that point, man, I think this is probably the main motivation behind the mics in front of us is just everybody's kind of trying to shape culture to their liking, to their ideology. Everybody's sharing ideas, articles, podcasts, videos, and I think we're just here doing the same. Yeah. And I feel like we're speaking for so many people. Or maybe just ourselves. I don't know. But I feel like, you know, it's, it's, this is almost like the new voting. You know, like you, you go out once a year and you cast your little ballot and you hope you're going to make a change. That's great. But this is, I think, way more powerful because you can connect with other people. You can shape other people's opinions and just get shared, reshared. You, you, it's, it's an obligation almost at this yeah. point, you know? I agree. So, to so that end. To next week. To next week. Cheers, man. To that end. <laughs>